one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed, and this particular episode is the Book of Boba Fett Report. We're going to dive into Chapter 2. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Napsok. Man, welcome to a discussion on many levels of Star Wars. Which one do you love? Which one do you get off on the elevator at, or do you ride it all the way to the top? we got a great discussion uh, I, I love the endless number of metaphors that you and I can come up with for discussing Star Wars. And uh, I like this new elevator one. I'm just going to mash my hands into 
all the buttons and stop on every level. Uh, this was an amazing episode, I think. I'm, I'm going to gush like a, a water car on a space train because I thought this one was amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we are going to discuss chapter two of the book of Boba Fett. This one is entitled The Tribes of Tatooine, written once again by John Favreau and directed by Steph Green. Steph Green's credits uh, are numerous, numerous, but a lot of, I would say, kind of a premier television Americans, uh, Watchmen, uh, Preacher, Luke Cage, uh, Scandal. Lots of things that uh, are genre-based and lots of things that are not genre-based, but uh, clearly a great director, in my opinion. It is uh, This episode is about 50 minutes of actual story. We'd like to start our discussion by setting the scene from our perspective as fans. Ken, did you watch At Midnight again? Yeah, well, a little bit later. So that it was a busy day at the round the house. And I was very excited again, knowing it was like Tuesday's like book of Boba Fett day, right? It's like you're looking <laughs> towards that clock. And by the time Grace and I both settled down, it was like 1240. So when I queued up the episode and I saw that time, I was both excited and dismayed that I knew I'd be up till two in the morning, which is fine. It's a small <laughs> sacrifice here. Oh, small sacrifice. But yeah, I loved it. I, I was really excited. And then that... A lot of times maybe I don't like to know that the length um, of the episode, but then I remember halfway through, I thought I, got, I was like, oh my gosh, there's still so much to go. And I loved that. So that actually worked in an, uh, an advantage for the episode for me. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I had a similar thing of uh, my wife makes it to almost midnight, but we watch it again together the next day. Uh, so she went to bed and I did my little Boba Fett rituals. I got a different Boba Fett action figure out to uh, watch the episode <laughs> with me and pour myself some whiskey. And um, my wife got me that nice uh, Boba Fett shirt uh, for the holidays. So I, I showed her that I was wearing my Boba Fett shirt <laughs> <laughs> to watch the Boba Fett. I'm just a, I'm in my own home, but I'm being the guy who wears the band's T-shirt to their <laughs> concert. But in the privacy of my own home. Uh, yeah. And I didn't even look what, just when I clicked on it, I saw the, the 52 minutes. Um, it didn't even have a thumbnail when I clicked on it at like 12, Same. 12 one. It was just the, like, uh, watch the episode. Now was the description. Like fair enough, Disney plus I'm going to, uh, yeah. And I happened to see that it was 52 minutes and I had the, the, just a good reaction of, okay, well, um, I think that will probably feel like a more full episode to everybody because sometimes the length can hamper people's enjoyment of not feeling like they got enough. And then I had the same experience while I was watching it of like, I kind of kept expecting the episode to end because I'd already seen and appreciated so much. Uh, mm. But then when it came to its end point, I was like, this is great. This is mm. absolutely a, a full meal. Yeah, uh, at the Star Wars buffet, we're talking. We're to elevators, buffets, all the ways you and I like to discuss uh, <laughs> Star Wars are on uh, are on display here today. It was a buffet in an elevator, and then did you were you able to go to sleep because it was you know almost two and you were tired? Uh, yeah, you know you always need the the twenty minutes to half hours to check you know check your stocks, check IMDb to make sure you know some of the characters that you want to see confirmed or listed or not. <laughs> uh, and then uh, yeah, it was a little, little buzzing, little buzzing after this of just uh, a lot to take in and and, and more than anything to especially at the end, really really moved and so uh, a lot of fun just kind of laying in bed thinking about it. Yeah, for, for me, it was like I had a really hard time going to sleep because, as we're discussing, it was really powerful on a lot of levels from just the fun and the thrill. Like, I wanted to get out my action figures and act it out, uh, but also, yeah, just kind of uh, affected and moved by the depth of the episode. 
So yeah, I finished watching at one o'clock and I think I went to bed at like two 30 cause I just kind of <laughs> <laughs> was sitting up thinking. Uh, so let's dive into what we actually thought about the episode. Uh, it sounds like your review is generally positive as well. What was your overall reaction? Uh, why did you love it in the big picture? Uh, I'm going to go to somewhere in the middle of the show w- with this feeling I had. Uh, you know, I think we always lead with our, our hearts and souls here in Force Center. And there was a point in this episode where I, I got what they were doing. Like I went like, oh, I get it. I see what you're doing. And then <laughs> shortly after that, there was a point where I just felt it. Yeah. It, it took over. And, you know, some out there might be on board for the ride. Some might be jumping off of it like a pike being thrown from a, a train. But <laughs> I really just kind of released. And I like it was, to be clear, was an enjoying the episode, but just had this very intellectual like, oh, I get what they're doing. There's uh, there's a training sequence in which uh, there's an exchange of skills. And, I, I you know, just you kind of stop there um, and, and we love digging in there. But then you and I and others just love it when, when your heart opens up to Star Wars, when it really hits mm-hmm. it moves you. And I just sat back in the couch and just was like, I'm feeling everything this episode's uh, showing me and telling me. Yeah, I think I'm in a very similar place of like I, I definitely had, you know, an intellectual reaction to it. And we're going to dive into all the big ideas. But I was just emotionally affected on a couple levels. One, just like the just basic success of the storytelling of uh, mm. the action was super exciting because I cared uh, because I was really on the side of the Tuscan Raiders because I really wanted a victory for Boba Fett. Just that mm-hmm. real successful engagement of like, uh, you know, sometimes there's there's a fight that I like in a in a show or a movie, but it's like, eh, it's it's the good guys and the bad guys and and they're doing their thing. <laughs> and this was about the actual action, but mo- much more the emotion behind the action. So there was like that uh, level of depth. There was that hope for Boba Fett uh, to really move forward um, in, in both uh, parts of the story. Um, but I think the thing that I reacted to is well uh, on the whole, uh, <laughs> every, every level of the floor, every floor that the elevator has taken us to is this felt to me like a, a a unique independent piece of Star Wars storytelling. It's a part of the book of Boba Fett, which is kind of part of the Mandoverse in my opinion, but it's just this one chapter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's connected to everything else. But this particular chapter just felt like a tour of what makes Star Wars great, that it's this incredibly odd and deft mix of um, kind of depth that is emotional, relatable to your real life, but also feels uh, symbolic and mythic and cross-cultural. Um, the action itself was like strange, weird, great space fantasy action. Uh, it, there was actually a lot of really successful comedy in this episode, which mm-hmm. to me was like perfectly balanced. It wasn't like this is a very serious episode. And then we have one character who makes jokes. Mm-hmm. All of the comedy came out of the characters and the cultural contrast and trying to understand and trying to BS one another, just so much great comedy. Mm. And then on top of that, the the final big thing for me of like um, why this to me has so much of the star Wars DNA is a big part of star Wars that is important is the, the world building Mm. or the galaxy building. And uh, we will talk about it a bunch, right? This was a Canon junkies delight. (laughs) Uh, You know, and you can talk about it from, a maybe a, a negative point of view of yeah when you get into canon it, it can be bad to obsess on who's going to show up do i know that character for somebody from somewhere else do i recognize them 
I only think that's negative if that's the only thing you focus on. Mm, mm-hmm. And this episode had much so much great stuff with story and character and comedy and action that the canon stuff, for me, what was rich about it was, yeah, there's excitement to see characters' ideas, but every bit of, of canon was world-building. It was these infrastructure details that that make this big strange galaxy feel real we've known since 1977 that uh han was hauling spice for java well uh, we know who uh where the spice comes from it's kessel we know who uh runs kessel it's the pikes it's not just oh i recognize that it's literally this connective tissue and, and like the we've known what a gaffy stick looks like forever but to see what that means to people right mm-hmm. um to, we know what Tashi Station is, but now we see how humans actually feel about it and what kind of lives are lived there. Mm. All of the canon stuff is rich uh, galaxy world building lived in universe stuff to me. Yeah, the, the, this uh, this word nostalgia is, is so part of just the daily discourse in a lot of these um, properties, right? We've talked about it. We talk, we're going to talk about it on the crawls and George's nostalgia. And I think it's a great conversation to have. And I, I, I've been, get, I, I've been getting this question. Uh, some of the other shows I do on my own channel of, is there too much nostalgia? And I think that's a fair question to ask all the time, but every time you have to analyze how they're using it. And you're so right. The, the idea of just huts showing up is, is cool in and of itself, but the, the use of it, the connective thread, like you said, uh, and, and what it is saying about it, the why of Star Wars, it's all on display here. And sometimes things are just like, oh, that's a thing. But I always argue that sometimes when it's when those ca- Finn picking up the, the training uh, uh, globe, the the, the 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 ball in the Force Awakens Falcon scene, like that's that's a fun wink. The the the, the movie doesn't live on that. It doesn't no. build on that. It's just there for you. And I think sometimes the things, you know, there's a little uh, confusion on the two. Like uh, and and I think you're so right. The this continues just expand and change. I will never never underline never watch New Hope the same way again. Uh, when the Tuscan scenes come up, never right it's changed me forever. Yeah, the the Tuscan scenes and uh, in a New Hope and in Attack of the Clones and yeah, just uh, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of people already discussing what is this going to mean for Kenobi um, mm-hmm. because everything is very connected. It, yeah, really, really great stuff. Um, yeah. So I I think for me that I liked that it was so many things uh, that Star Wars does well all sort of deftly blended together. And still did feel unique, right? Like, I think I can point to lots of bits of DNA of what makes Star Wars from the mythic to the silly to the socio-political. But then at the same time, like, it, it feels, it, this this uh, meal has a different texture because it's Godfather meets Western meets indie art film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we're taking the elevator up to the Star Wars buffet. And once we get there, there's a nice docent named Steph Green and uh, Boba Fett taking us on a tour of Star Wars. I love that you and I are just putting all this together into one thing. Uh, no, absolutely. I uh, absolutely agree with that. It is uh, this episode was completely singular while being such a key part of the larger picture. Yeah. And I think that's another big thing for me is while in some ways I did find this episode uh, more thrilling than the first episode mm-hmm. uh, in that great Star Wars theme of celebrate the individual and celebrate the community, which I think is very present <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. I don't think this episode would be anywhere near as thrilling without the wonderful work done in the first chapter. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. In particular, I feel like that first chapter, um, we needed to see Boba Fett 
at his lowest in both of the narrative timelines. Yeah. In the beginning of his journey with the Tuscans and his first steps of trying to be the crime lord. And, you know, by the end of that first episode, he has a victory in the Tuscan uh, mm-hmm. timeline, part of the narrative. But that that first episode going, here's kind of what he wants. Here's kind of what he's struggling with. That sets it up where this second episode is kind of rousing because in both narratives, he takes a step closer to accomplishing what he wants. Uh, yeah, I agree. When we dive into the themes in a moment, you touched upon uh, something from last week that I think flows so wonderfully into some of the things they were talking about um, this week, which which is what you would want this to do, right? Uh, there was parts of the first episode that I, I would say, I think I'll kind of want to rewatch that and maybe like bits of it more than this one. And then there's more more of this episode that I was like, I, I'm so glad uh, I can move forward with the story with this one. I think you're, I think you're right. They're working in concert together really well. As again, they should, and we would uh, think they would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One last kind of big picture question that I wanted to ask you before we get into the details of this chapter. How are you feeling about this series, Book of Boba Fett, being a chapter in the general Mandoverse? Like, yeah. obviously, uh, this relates to all of Star Wars in thematic ways and canon ways, uh, but there is a structure to it. Um, some of it just being the literal presentation with the the music style being similar with the uh concept art at the end the credits literally being the same but also a a lot of the same locations with Tatooine a lot of the same kinds of uh underworld in issues of community and honor are you feeling like Book of Boba Fett is a chapter in this larger story of the underworld and the Mandalorians of this time I think so. And I think so in a really good way where I, I, I feel as though you wouldn't have to watch right now. You wouldn't have to watch Mando to appreciate this and, and perhaps vice versa. Uh, and and this, there's some other big picture stuff I think I can jam into this kind of uh, part of the, this part of the discussion, uh, Joseph. Is, is I, I just love the pacing for this show, which includes what I, you know, the rhythm and tempo, the dialogue and action, which I didn't, didn't necessarily love for Mando, especially season one. It took me a while to maybe get used to that. Um, including the you know, acting choices, styles, directing choices, but I think it all kind of flows and therefore it's working for me now um, as this one piece. And now we have this, you know, remember when, uh, Hey, Boba Fett shows up and you see him and like, why is he dressed like a Tuscan Raider? Well, now, you know, and it's like flowing back in. And I think I'm enjoying that, but um, I'm so curious to see what Kenobi does, what Endor does, Ahsoka, the rest of it. Cause we imagine some of it's, you know, Ahsoka spinning off and away from Mando. That's going to make sense. But Andor and Kenobi are going to be act like can be so their own uh, beasts here. Um, I'm curious to see how, how, how I feel about it all then. Yeah. I, I think that that's the way I'm going to feel. Obviously Kenobi will probably spend some time on Tatooine. So maybe there'll be some similarities there. But I just kind of feel with the it's dealing with similar themes It's dealing with characters who do have some overlap. They're both mm-hmm. Mandalorians. They're both uh, bounty hunters. Um, they both have issues with trying to choose what kind of a code of honor. So I've seen some people kind of approaching this is, oh, well, Disney's made two live action shows and this one's really similar to the first one. And I feel like I, I would rather approach it is they are connected. They are a part yeah. of the same fabric and i think yeah i think kenobi and uh ahsoka and certainly ander will have a different energy and a different presentation yeah yeah and and i i have become somewhat uh, um 
obsessed with this style here, obsessed, new episodes weekly from Joseph Scrimshaw. Check out the show. <laughs> um, all the directors uh, going even through Mando are, are definitely finding themselves within it. Uh, this was, this episode was so unique in its own way. But you know, Favreau is the, is the credited writer. Obviously, there's a lot of people that touch these stories and everything, uh, but the creator and writer. I uh, Joseph, just become obsessed with the idea that Lucasfilms said, John, uh, go ahead, tell some Star Wars stories. Get out of the kitchen for a second. Stop making things with Roy Choi and, and make a Star Wars. <laughs> And he did not jam it full of pews and swooshes. He's exploring so many other aspects of Star Wars, and that makes those moments of pews and swooshes, swooshes and swooshes um, just have such greater meaning. And I have three years on, or three shows on now, uh, two years or whatever from Mando season one, episode one, I am more, more in a position to every week just sit back and enjoy his style of presentation. And again, don't necessarily think I want that beat for beat with Kenobi. Definitely not Andor. I think Andor's going to have the real different feel, just the way it, it, it's shot and put together, obviously. But yeah, go to your question. I said connected, a uh, part of a bigger story. And then eventually we're going to sit back and, and, um, and just pull it all in. It's not, it's not unlike a trilogy for me, which is super connected to its own emotions and themes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is uh, tied together with uh, Favreau's storytelling perspective, which is I'm kind of from what he said in interviews and from my opinion of watching that I'm going to try to dig into why did Star Wars hit me so hard as a kid? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm going to get into those ideas, that sort of uh, tip of the iceberg style of storytelling that is about minimal, precise dialogue, uh, meaning being contained uh, mostly in, in very precise, symbolic actions and choices, a real sense of patience of, hey, sometimes a half an idea gets thrown out, not not a half an idea from the writer, an idea that is only half clear to the audience. And yeah. sometimes it just, we'll follow up on that whenever. If it's important, if it's important to the story, wait a year and you'll find out. <laughs> I mean, remember how yeah. much uh, some, some audience members were vexed by, well, Mandalorians take their helmets off all the time. And just that tone of patience of, uh, we got you, wait a year. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with why is Boba Fett wearing the Tuscan stuff? We got you. Wait a year. That sense of patience all will slowly be revealed. Like this is a story that's going to blossom slowly over years. That tone is just delicious to me. Yeah, it, there's a just extreme level of confidence to do that, right? Extreme, yeah. especially in Star Wars. Again, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to enjoy Star Wars. And I think every one of these episodes, especially this one, present a lot of those different ways. But there's just a big, not not a little swagger. Boba Fett and Mando both have swagger. Let's be clear. There's a swagger, yeah. but there's a quiet confidence. And these episodes, patience is so right. Not just in terms of, uh, well, what does that mean? But just like every episode just has a lot of room to breathe. I've really come to appreciate that more than I did Mando season one. I, I'll tell you, uh, uh, that's been a personal uh, journey for me and, and a rewarding one at this point. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And I am excited to hear what you're, what you really responded to in this episode. So let's uh, dive into the big themes, uh, the ideas that are at stake in this particular chapter. Uh, where did you go? I'm going to start with a kind of like a, a pre-theme and then get into some of uh, what, I, what I feel like, you know, perhaps the big question in the episode. Uh, it's almost uh, not fair to include recap stuff, but uh, I enjoy watching recaps. I never press the skip recap button. Even if no. I'm watching Game of Thrones season four, episode three for the 90th time, I still watch the, the recap from the previous week because that's kind of setting you up a little bit of like what we're dealing with here. You and I are, have a great episode and a great series beginning of the opening crawls, which will include the you know talk of the Clone Wars newsreels. And I, I've, I've admit, I sometimes skip through mentally, not, not physically, but mentally skip through the, the Clone Wars news crawls 
which doesn't set me up well for the episode. So all that to say, Joseph, <laughs> the, the recap starts with the, the, the line from last week of fate sometimes step in to rescue the wretched. And just this kind of Boba Fett's view of himself at one point in, in a way, is that his view of himself wretched and, and needing the cleansing rebirth purity is, is there um, some kind of big redemption he feels he needs questions I'm asking, not not so saying there's answers or it's all true, but also, and, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit in my notes, but fascinated by this big giant spiritual journey with some themes we're going to talk about still has Boba Fett being a crime Lord. He's not opening an orphanage. He's being <laughs> a crime Lord. So I'm obsessed with that, that uh, this question that it kind of, uh, you know, kind of proposes to us there of just like, is Boba Fett, does this his view of himself? That's where I started. And then I go into bigger things. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is, you know, talking about patience, the fact that the recap starts with a line from Mandalorian season two mm -hmm. uh, a year ago, right? Yes. And it, is it, it was an answer to a question from the Mandalorian, but it is a real thematic thing that I think this episode does a great job of telling uh, a advancing the crime lord story, telling a complete chunk of the Tuscan Raider uh, and Boba Fett narrative, but in doing that also raises all of these really intriguing questions and fears. <laughs> yeah, and you know, sorry, and go back to your connection question. That's right, fate steps, steps under. That's that's from Mando, right? Yeah, yeah, that's from uh, the the revelation that uh, Fennec Shand is alive and talking about what their bond is. That basically they they were, they both know what it is to be left for dead, and that's why they have such a bond, right? You know, and right. that's what's so great about this Tuscan narrative. Like that made sense when you were able to infer, like, yeah, Boba Fett had a rough time, yeah, <laughs> coming out of the Sarlacc. Like we could all we could all guess that, and we saw what happened to Fennec. Uh, so that made sense it worked it, it had a great rhythm it was a great amazing line uh last time but now to see like that's uh that's kind of my mission statement <laughs> yeah yeah and it's just and it just proves it's all collapsing into one uh just one thing i can't tell the difference between amando episode and boba fett episode one it's just all there <laughs> right yeah no I, I was really with you i love that line in mandalorian it was really powerful for the recap uh to mm -hmm. actually start with it um and I think for me that the fact that where you went with it immediately is going, okay, that's kind of a clear line of, hey, sometimes um, you think you're totally down and out and alone and in fate in the form of another person comes in to help you back up, right? Yeah. Uh, but that wretched, yeah, it, is that an indication that looking back on his life as a bounty hunter uh, working for organizations that he ultimately finds to be dishonorable. Um, he's looking back at himself as wretched, not only because of his failure of uh, ending up in the Sarlacc, but because he wants to make different life choices. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot about this episode that that made me think that we are seeing a, a strong continuation of the Clone Wars era Boba Fett stories more than just getting behind the mask of that mysterious bounty hunter in the original trilogy. That's definitely there. Um, and I, I don't even, I don't even want Favreau's notes on that. And maybe he'll talk about it around the <laughs> table uh, with some cameras rolling, but you know what I mean? Like I was watching this, this particular episode, even some of the lines, the humor, the beats, and, and it was Daniel Logan, the voice, voice of him in the Clone Wars, of course, but it, it, I was just like, I feel as I, we're really picking up the ball from that journey and that angst and pain and suffering that that child was going through at that time. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. 
Yeah, and, and I think that is what a, a big tension of what is happening in the past with the Tuscan Raiders and is what is happening in particular even more in the crime lord uh, attempt present, that there's that tension in those Clone Wars episodes where uh, Boba Fett it has a sense of honor that he clearly got from his father. Hondo yeah. in particular talks about like, you know, your, your father would do the honorable thing uh, or a thing is convincing him to just get power no matter who he needs to step on. Even if people don't deserve to be killed, mm. kill him so you can get power. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by the idea that he started out wanting to have honor and then he saw this easier way to power mm -hmm. and spent a decent chunk of his bounty hunting career being merciless and just killing anyone in his way because that's the faster way to power and that what he's wrestling with now is like i want that power but i want to walk an honorable path to get to it yeah yeah uh and 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 this episode kind of beyond growth it just kind of showcased this uh rebuilding and, and moving forward based a, a lot of uh what your journey was to this point and and that's a that's a big star wars theme of course nothing new there but i just love i love seeing it for boba fett it's kind of crazy we're seeing we're seeing that guy <laughs> we're seeing that guy go through changes and i think it's really working yeah boba fett goes through changes that uh that would be a good subtitle for uh this episode yeah i think for me there's a lot of uh, kind of individual themes and ideas and, and connections between what i think are, are once again parallel narratives mm -hmm. uh with the tuscan raider story and the crime lord story i think in particular uh just like last week he was kind of flashing back to the Tuscan Raider uh, time and remembering a time that he felt uh, out of place in the culture and totally weak, uh, but he reclaimed his power and he's feeling uncertain in the crime Lord uh, world. He gets, uh, you know, robbed and in the face down in the sand again uh, in this week, he's remembering a Tuscan Raider story story where he really took that uh, next step and he handled something. Mm. And in the crime Lord part, he is, trying to do that again, right? I feel like the parallel narratives are, can I handle the huts the way I handled the pikes? 100%, 100%. And, and, and uh, you know, territories, claims to land, uh, all those kind of things. Oh, fascinating stuff there. Yeah, and, and we, yeah, last week, again, last week, repeating a beat there, but last week set, it, set that up, how you define your victory and, and uh, how you reclaim your power. Uh, and and here, here, here he is building on that. Yeah. And I think for me to, to pick up on what you were saying about change, um, rebirth, I think there's all these, uh, the symbolism uh, kind of laid down in the first episode of the the water and the sand and the trauma of childhood. And what does the armor mean? Is the armor actual strength or is it a crutch? Um, all those kind of things build to this episode, all of Boba Fett's actions, but in particular, that vision is so great. Mm -hmm. that it really takes a lot of images and ideas that I think were present in chapter one and uh, sort of crystallizes them into, for me, this this clear pursuit of who is Boba Fett. Well, uh, at this point in his journey, he is somebody who is afraid of being alone and weak. You know, mm -hmm. that shot back on Camino of watching his dad leave and putting oh. his hand up, right? I mean, yeah. what's what's the, I, I need the Max Rebel band to start playing Cat in the Cradle, right? <laughs> uh, great generational, you know, parenting issues, classic Star Wars stuff, but it's all about like the connection to that moment of his dad leaving, then the feeling utterly claustrophobic and alone in the Sarlacc and the, the, the tree uh, representing that. So he's got all these fears of being alone, even his armor can't protect him, alone and weak, and the vision and all of his actions mm -hmm. 
are him pushing past that fear. And in reward, he builds a new kind of armor by literally donning the, you know, not literal armor, but Mm -hmm. the symbolic wear of the Tusken Raiders. And he finds this new kind of strength because he finds community. So I feel like he is addressing if his fears are being uh, weak, alone, and armorless, he answers those by finding a new kind of strength that is both individual and community-based, and he literally gets a new kind of armor, a new kind of uh, uh, weaponry that is uh, forged utterly out of his own strength. Yeah, uh Clearly on display, yeah. That that God, that vision stuff is so great, and 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 uh, you're right. When you coming home, Django? I don't know when, son. I'm going to Coruscant. I'm going to Coruscant. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And and that and that was one of the 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 kind of topic sentence of themes here was the um, was this idea of uh, that the cold open asks us of what makes you feel fear. Uh, just mm-hmm. all through this episode, lots of moments of very strong people. Just strong people, whether physically, based on their position of power, their reputation skills, having to discover or face down what makes them feel fear. The idea of something monstrous, uh, someone abusing their power, and you feel like you can't stop it. And, and, and in your past, your loss of self and safety, the armor you're talking about. Or maybe sometimes it's just black chrysanthemum and he makes you feel fear. So I don't know. <laughs> there is a lot of staring down between the uh, the Nightwind and the non-existent, uh, Nightwind assassin, the non-existent <laughs> Rengor, uh, the huts. All that stuff is so great. I think that's a, a really good point that it is really about, like, who, who's going to uh, buckle first when it's a, a, a kind of a stare off with fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, getting into some of the kind of nuts and bolts of this particular chapter, um, I really felt like there was this great theme of who controls what and why. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really take it into some real world sociopolitical history of um, who controls what land and who comes to claim it and why and how. Um, but just within the world of Star Wars, right? This keeps coming up again and again in the Crime Lord section. You know, Boba makes it pretty clear of like, yeah, I, I claimed this territory in its mine and the huts are trying to claim it back. But there's a very different way in which they're trying to claim them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to have some respect for Jabba, even though he ruled with fear. He has zero respect for Bib Fortuna. And he makes that yeah. very, very clear. Right. <laughs> or Bib Fortuna. Yeah. Because Bib Fortuna just kind of came in and took it through weakness and maybe money and hired guns. And then the Huts are kind of trying to do that, too. They're just trying to come in and go, uh, look at us and our ability to uh, be imposing and cause fear. Uh, But also, like, there's this very specific, like, with that, like, I don't care what's on your what your tablet says. Mm -hmm. It's this real position of, like, what what you have is um, earned by who you are and your actions mm-hmm. not by legal red tape not by you know fear money hired guns uh what your kind of made up laws say i took this in a real way and you're showing me your little document uh mm-hmm. cool <laughs> i don't respect that yeah and how, how much of it do you think also has to do with just like how how the other person views you the pikes and their view of the tuscan raiders the huts and their perhaps view of him as a nothing more than a hunter i i i wonder if that factors into some of that what fett's thinking too oh absolutely i think so too i think that's i i, I think um it's so fun to watch the crime lord section and the tuscan section and, and mm-hmm. look at how they speak to each other because yeah there's a very clear 
the issue in the crime lord uh, period is who owns this territory and why? Mm-hmm. And there's that same discussion with the Pikes once he gets them captured and uh, maskless <laughs> no. uh, that he makes it really clear. Like you have no right to travel through their land and saying that the Tuscans have an ancestral claim and uh, the Pikes saying, uh, we thought you were uncivilized raiders. Mm. And in fact, in particular, saying these people lay ancestral claim to the Dune Sea. So, yeah, I think it really is about um, who controls what and why. And from Boba Fett's perspective, he feels like uh, I think that the the Tuscan Raiders come from a place of honor. Mm. Uh, They come from a place of history. They have put the the sweat and the work and the building of their own souls, the building of their own community. And they own this land because they are of this land. You know, when he says that you're like, you, you know, every piece of this sand. Yeah. So I think that there's a part of him that's kind of really trying to approach the crime Lord way, uh, crime Lord rule that way too, of I will come and I will know every vassal. I will walk. I will earn this. I will know every building in Mos Espa. I'm all about doing the work and earning it. Whereas Bib, uh, the mayor, the huts, they're all about like kind of made up rules with, you know, uh, red tape and appointments and legal documents. And he's just like, no, no, no. You work and you earn it. Yeah, I love Fett literally on the ground. This run, now, you know, running joke of the litter, but it has some great purpose, obviously. And to actually see and hear uh, the, the the twins and, and their litter and parading through town. And just to con- contrast that with Fett literally having his feet on the ground of this land. Right. Yeah. Getting connected to it. Yeah. Cause it, it, it makes it all about uh, fear and theater. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's great that you look scary up there doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. Come down here and do something, you know, <laughs> get out that litter and do something. What you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's uh, some uh, great, powerful stuff. And even with the uh, Tashi station, I think there's some yep. elements of that, of the Nick kind of take something that is really not, of their community and mm-hmm. Boba Fett's just like, okay, I'm going to take it back by force and I'm going to take my payment uh, by taking a, a good sip of a drink. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, Fixer saying it's not right, right? It, it, it's just a, that's it, a, that's a line that you would expect in that situation. But for him just to be like, this isn't right. That's, yeah. that's a theme throughout this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it, I'm going to uh, restrain myself because we could talk about it uh, lots of different ways for a long time. But I um, want to move on to some other ideas. Um, I'm sure that you have some thoughts on this. You already mentioned it. I thought just one of the biggest ideas is that and what made this uh, chapter so special is that this is about uh, cultural exchange, right? Yep. Yep. This is about an exchange of a strength uh, of Tuscans uh, take Boba in and teach him their ways. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Boba uh, reciprocates by teaching them about the technology. Mm-hmm. And it's so great because it makes it not a story of uh, the, the indigenous people find a conquering hero who knows how the world really works and he saves them. Right. Right. Uh, this is so about a merging of, hey, we respect each other. You are teaching me valuable things that I did not know. Let me show you some valuable things uh, that you do not know. It is such a perspective of uh, of community, of, uh, of sharing, and of ignorance isn't bad. Ignorance is an opportunity for us to share our knowledge with one another. 
Uh, I, yes, and I really think for the, this to me connects to some of the larger morality uh, stuff in Star Wars, so we can slide some of that down there too. But absolutely, um, I, I yeah, uh, it, uh, this spun off to something I want to talk about when 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 you're ready to air this this theme of fighting from your soul. Yeah, go for it. Uh, well, because last week we 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 end with how you define victory, this power, the the Boba Fett, you know, image of him with the the chains. It was such a, a victory. But this idea that, you know, Boba is a skilled fighter. We know this. He's he's really good at what he does. You know, he's killed a lot of people. He's brought in a lot of bounties. Without a doubt, he is strong. Just like the Tusken Raiders are are very, very uh, strong. They've been this brutal world they've, they've lived in. And um, without even, you don't even factor in the interlopers that have come in. Just the land itself, they have this respectful fear of it. They understand the dangers and they understand how to survive in it. They're both very strong. But I love watching Boba Fett learning to fight with the warrior and just absolutely struggling. It was one of my favorite scenes. Uh, because I took it as him not being one with his weapon, not really knowing what is uh, wrong at the time or being connected to something uh, that is not yet truly him, if that makes sense. He's fed the hunter. Um, uh, he's fed the, the, the detached, uh, you know, brutal mask, uh, mask wearing uh, killer that's gone through the land. And he's really got to connect with why he's fighting. And, and this fi- idea of fighting from your, your soul. Uh, I love watching the Raiders uh, again, who are, um, they know all the dangers of the land, but what they ask them, well, what makes them feel fear? It is this, what I'm calling the train of pain that is <laughs> not of this land, right? It is not of this land. And I thought, I thought there was a great way that, 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 that it was shot, edited, put together. Uh, Steph Green uh, did a great job at this moment of we're already, we, we got one creature that has emerged from the sand last week. And this week something emerges, right? We got a little tiny creature. And then you uh, hear wart, the wart, I believe. Yeah, wart, right? And then, and then uh, you hear the rumbling, and I, I immediately thought, what is it, you know, stampede of rancors? Like, what do we got? And to see that it was this train, so not of this land, and that now uh, Boba's, as he's becoming connected to, to literally his new weapon, which is symbolizes the new hymn to me, he has to, this cultural exchange you're talking about, then has to teach the Tusken Raiders to become one with their new weapons and methods and tech. And now they're fighting for themselves, they're fighting from their soul. And through that, Boba connects with himself and becomes one with his new way and emerges out of that tent. I love that. And this, as he says, this is how we will stop the train. It's true adaptation, growth, and exchange, not just temporary solutions. It's not a fight for power. It's a fight to defend. And I thought that was, uh, I loved watching that, especially on repeat, just the training of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I really like what you're saying of like, um, I think in, in cultural exchanges, one of the things that can be really beautiful. And I think it's beautiful in this episode is what is the same and what is different. Right. And what is the same about, uh, Boba Fett and the Tusken Raiders are the kind of the soul of warriors of they have honor, they have respect, they're willing to work for, uh, what they want. Um, but the, uh, the means by which they, they know it, you know, what they actually know, the technology, the weapons is different. Mm-hmm. And so they they take what is the same, they grow from that, and uh, ah, uh, yeah, I, I think he really is like I know how to hold a stick, but yeah. I'm not feeling it right. Like okay, yeah. now now I'm starting to it's it's I'm literally internalizing it. I'm understanding how to shift my position to to be one with this weapon, uh, to be the one with the way you use it. Uh, he's definitely doing that, and it and there's some great uh, comedy, but there's also yeah great power in the Tuscan Raiders understanding uh, how to how to use the speeder bike and. You know, there's even some great rhythm to me with uh, the Mandalorian. This is one of the reasons that I feel like it's really connected because it's it's thematic, right? Mm-hmm. When you 
when the work first comes up, you're like, okay, great. What's this? Oh, okay. But then you get the deep rumble, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all, it's almost like the crate dragon, right? And you have a little bit feeling of like, oh, wow. What could it be a crate dragon? Uh, It's not going to, because we went through that story and we know that story that the Tuscans 100% understand the crate dragon. And if it was a crate dragon, Boba Fett would be like, ah, what the hell do we do? Right. And the Tuscans would tell him, but this is like, uh, this is the, you know, mechanical encrusted yeah. <laughs> metal crate dragon. And Boba Fett's like, ah, I know how to kill this beast. But if it was the other kind, you would know how to kill it. Yeah. There's a great shot. One of the key shots is, uh, after some of the, uh, the, 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 the training montage, we need a montage. We got a training montage, but you come back to that and, uh, Boba and, and, and the warrior are training in the, in the background and in the foreground is a Tuscan Raider kind of tinkering and fixing the speeder, not tearing it apart, trying to ransack it like they do in the beginning. I just love that moment and Boba's getting it and the Tuscan Raiders getting it. True exchange happening there. True growth. I love that little shot. Absolutely. And I love everything in cultural exchange with the child, which is this is one of the things that would not be anywhere near as rich if it weren't built up so well in, in the first chapter. Right. Oh. Uh, but, the, you know, the there's the child that we met, but all the others kind of watching the training yeah. <laughs> and kind of doing it along with them. Uh, and just seeing over the course of this episode that um, Boba Fett continues to be in this place of giving to the child what Django gave to him and then was taken away of mm. being uh, nurturing, uh, but giving him responsibility so that the child can grow. Right. Gives him that responsibility uh, with the signal. And then the fact that it's the child who's like, holy crap, he made it back from his vision. <laughs> like it yeah. almost makes it feel like there was some discussion in the community yeah. about whether he was going to make it back. And the child is so happy and the child stroking his new robes yes. that, that emotional connection via this cultural exchange of um, what is, what is the same across cultures about um nurturing and guiding and and mm-hmm. getting comfort from a parental figure it's so powerful yeah they, they literally uh the the, the chief's been calling that out of uh you know you were a great uh, you know good guy i, I love uh, to tie back to the child and, and uh, yeah the great little uh, sweet comedy moment of them kind of in a row with their own sticks like oh okay but uh, to just say that and this is uh something you can pull from the episode uh, and it's it's the episode certainly addressing and talking about it, but just as a fan and as a fan of Star Wars and as a fan of what they're doing here, I, I just, it just makes me go back and think, and again, going to the Clone Wars Boba Fett of, of um, going from Attack the Clones and literally, you know, he's, uh, you know, flying with his dad, learning to kill Jedi, <laughs> whatever you want to say. <laughs> he's got his father there. And then once he doesn't, um, the, the, the consequences of, of Mace's uh, actions there, uh, you know, on the, Petronaki Arena. Boba Fett then it doesn't have that. He, he's on his own and, and, and now he gets these weapons and he gets these ways and he gets this armor. Remember he has the different armor in the Clone Wars there. And it is just this uh, false sense of what's right. And again, there is no true connection. Uh, he's finally learning uh, maybe why you fight and, 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 and the reasons uh, behind it, uh, beyond yourself. I think Fett's just been so on his own, so without the guides or the wrong guides. So to see that and to see the, the, the children reacting to him, uh, for me, just uh, it becomes uh, makes all of Boba Fett's storytelling more powerful. Absolutely. I, I did want to ask you about that in terms of his uh, strong uh, reaction to the Pikes traveling through the Dune Sea without paying tribute, right? Because that yeah. <laughs> that connects to the Crime Lord story too, obviously. Um, yeah. Boba feels so strong about this is just like, this is a fundamental truth of 
the galaxy of respect of they have an ancestral claim this is their land and you're more than welcome to come through it but you got to show them respect you got to pay them what in Boba Fett's background do you think it is that makes him feel so so strongly about uh about that is it his own lost home his own lost heritage his own lost heritage maybe being with without a true home for a while maybe coming around to that i don't know maybe he's also still upset at jedi for just coming through and doing things <laughs> i'll be part of it again we we believe in justice for the jedi and i'll even say justice for mace but hey uh things happen and and, and they've addressed that in the clone wars well, um, as always I, I think i love that moment because i think that's a dubious choice on mace's part i think mm-hmm. a big force push would have accomplished the same thing mm-hmm yeah. Uh, but hey, you got to get that Mace window look up to Dooku like, yep, yep, killed your guy. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, I look, I, but I think Attack of the Clones right from the beginning. Clearly, that's why they pick up that thread in Clone Wars. Attack of the Clones does address that. Of Well, cool. That was great. But look what happened. Look what look what you've created. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this monster that's going to uh, go around the galaxy for 20 plus years. Um, so it is. Yeah, to answer your question. What was specifically? Yeah, I, I think this uh, growing sense of honor and, and him being a vagabond and maybe starting to especially where he starts last week as a prisoner of them and 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 how um he sees how they connect to the land i was really particularly moved by him helping with the the the, the burying process the the, the burning mm. of the bodies that was yeah really moved me and just maybe that's what's starting to change him here um because you know it, it, flash forward to the crime lord storyline he certainly doesn't doesn't have you know, ancestral claim to the palace, but I think that's his point to the huts and to Java and to Bib Fortuna. You guys just moved into this one here. It was a Bomar monk house. <laughs> um, yeah, let's and, reinstate them. Yeah, and and not that I, I I don't think he's there in that palace going. Yeah, I'm an honorary Tuscan. This is mine. I think he has a full understanding and respect for uh, the right way to go about doing it, and and this is what he wants to do now. So yeah, I don't know if I answer your question directly, but uh, it's an interesting thing to look into his life to find out where. Yeah, I, I think some of it is there for us to parse, and I think some of it is still left to be told because, mm-hmm. you know, what we've been told and what we've seen is that uh, Django did uh, raise him with some amount of honor of this is the way things are done. There's definitely some lookout for number one mm-hmm. in what he's being taught. Um, but I have to think that he spent a lot of his time as fully armored warrior Boba Fett in kind of, you know, original trilogy era and, and before enforcing, like, he probably would have been he would have been hired to ride the top of that train for the pikes, right? Yes. hundred percent. And take those pot shots before. And now he's seen, I think he's seen the other side. So I think there is some amount of change, but the real kind of missing component that I have such a uh, hope will emerge possibly within a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause that is the, the patience game in this star Wars storytelling is we still do not have a clear understanding of what Django felt it meant to be, his kind of Mandalorian, mm-hmm. his foundling who was taken in, and what of the Mandalorian culture of respect and honor was passed down to Boba. In uh, Mandalorian season two, when when Din asks him if he's a Mandalorian, he says, I pledge my allegiance to no one. Mm-hmm. That to me is ambiguous. That doesn't mean, like, he's, yeah, he's not like, here's my card carrying. I am, you yeah. know, he, he cares about his armor, his past, his claim to his father's armor. Um, that that's that he has a right to it. That's what he cares about in that episode. But to me, that hasn't answered that kind of fundamental question of sitting there on Camino at, at dinner time uh-huh. when Django's telling him how to how to be a good person in the galaxy. What is he telling him about Mandalore and being a Mandalorian? It's so yeah yeah. This is uh, 
you know, I always love trying to relate this <clears throat> stuff all to my own life here, but yeah, I, I, um, I don't pledge any allegiance to a specific church, but I'll tell you, my upbringing still dominates every thought I have on, <laughs> on my own personal honor, integrity, right. And morals. Um, I, 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 that's not necessarily a one-to-one comparison, but, uh, to hear, you know, to, you, to hear Boba Fett say that again, through your words, uh, to, to Din, it just strikes that kind of chord with me. Like, yeah, yeah, no, there's, uh, the organized Mandalore is not what, I, not what I'm there about, but the things that were put into me, um, things I was raised in by my father who had a certain view of it too, because he was cast out of it by certain sections of that uh, culture. Um, interesting, interesting discussion uh, point there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I have high hopes given where we left off Mandalorian season two with uh, the Darksaber and the future of Mandalore. Yeah. And many Mandalorians running around that somebody's eventually going to come to him and, and make him <laughs> have an opinion on the future of Mandalore. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One other big idea that I think it, it intertwines with a lot of the ideas we've been talking about, but just communication, just the idea of what is communication, how does that tie mm-hmm. into uh, respect and honor? Um, obviously, we just get to see that Boba is learning to communicate with the Tuscans, uh, learning some sign language. Uh, they're back and forth. They're working through trying to understand one another in meaningful ways and sometimes funny ways. Um, uh, I love how much he... Boba Fett has the language and the knowledge to just cut past the BS with the pikes, right? Yeah. I mean, the like he know he knows the whole thing. He knows the whole deal, so he cuts past the BS and talks to them directly. And they try to, you know, lie and and uh, and zig and zag. Uh, and there's also like just that kind of communication that he is trying to have. I feel like he he's always been a little bit of a direct, honorable guy, right? Yeah. Uh, but now he's had this Tuscan experience where. People say what they mean and they back it up with their actions or they don't. Mm-hmm. And the crime lord world that he is running into is all uh, theater of pomposity, theater of fear, uh, red tape. You know, when he goes to the the both the mayor and the huts try to tie him up with bureaucracy. Right. They try to, you know, tell him that he didn't put the proper cover on his PTS report, you know, um, <laughs> that with the do you have an appointment? He's like. Oh, that's no, no, we're not doing that. (laughs) You know, he wants to deal with everyone directly in the crime world, but the crime world is built on its lies, its backstabbing, its theater, it's who really hired, which assassin. Do you know what's really going on? Can I make you feel insecure? Can I say words that mean one thing while my delivery, my subtext says the exact opposite to you? And I think he's always been a bit of a, straight uh shooter uh, no pun intended yeah. but especially after this experience with the the tuscans i really feel like he's trying to make the crime world work the way the tuscans did of you say what you mean and you back it up in none of this weak pathetic lying red tape bs this is wonderful stuff you're you're also making me just giggle because uh, i love the idea of boba fett as the bobs from the office space going what exactly <laughs> would you say you do here uh to the mayor yeah. <laughs> Communication. It, that's such a thing. Cause you just touched upon one of my favorite little moments. I was going to talk about in comedy, uh, actually not even comedy. Women. Yeah. I just, I, I can, so now I, I, I can, I don't have to pull it from that section of our discussion. I can jump it in here now, Justin. One of my favorite things so far two weeks in is Jennifer Beals as Garza Fuit, who is just mastering just as David Pasquese's uh, mastering the, uh, I'm a politician as aide who's, who's, uh, you know, nervous, but also trying to hold you back. The red tape indeed. But I love she's playing this sigh beneath all of 
what she's saying, aware of the big situation, uh, trying to, uh, you know, and, and, and nothing she's actually saying is communicating what's the truth of what's going on. Yeah. And she's doing such a good job of that. I just love just, uh, oh, do you want a place at the bar? Do you want a beverage? Wait, wait, like, <laughs> just- I'll see if I can find you a table is beautiful jaw dropping insult right like imagine don corleone walks into applebee's and they're like all our tables are booked we'll see if we can find you a a booth at applebee's don corleone like it's so disrespectful sinatra mickey mantle billy martin walk walk into the uh, copacabana and they don't get a table did you want to wait at the bar and have a margarita well you know a martini um yeah yeah. And I just love that. And I think you're so right. And, and, and to see just, I think he's always been a little bit like that, uh, Django, the Django of it all, uh, what he's learned from the Tuscans and what he's learned about this world after having a long career in it. I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well said indeed. Love that. I was obsessed with that in the, uh, the, the, the crime or timeline. Uh, it's not just comedy. It is the, no one is saying what's really going on except for Boba Fett. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I uh, what's that? And Fennec, too. In Fennec, yes. And in, in I think in Fennec's being that, like, hey, I'm with you. Honor and respect would be would be much better. You know no one's going to do that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like she's on the same page with him, but she's just got that, like, uh, realist slash cynic perspective of it's not going to change. That's real cool you want to do it that way. But mm-hmm. uh, while you walk up to somebody and say something directly, um, I, I will keep them in my sniper sights because they're not going to be truthful with you. Well, one of my favorite running jokes is is Fennec at every turn going, should I should I kill them? And then in this episode going, <laughs> yeah, we'll probably have to get permission to kill them, but we should, right? You want to do that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the other big things about this episode that I want to be sure to talk about, and we could talk about it here, mm-hmm. or we could talk about it at the end of the podcast when we're talking about what's next, is I think seeing the deep bond, the confirmation that that Boba Fett found new community, new culture, really does raise some tension and some questions of what are his goals being the crime Lord? Like, I think Mm -hmm. personally he wants to be a leader. He does not want to be a warrior anymore. He wants to be uh, the leader. And I think he wants to bring this culture of respect and saying what you, you mean and earning what you have. I think he wants to bring all that, but is there another motive given the possibility of horrible tragedy befalling the Tuscans? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you and I are really in sync on that. There, I, I had some of those notes in the uh, next week where, you know, my my next week is uh, more black chrysanthemum. And what does Boba Fett want? What does Boba Fett? Want? Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll tease that up and we'll finish the conversation at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. excellent. So, uh, uh, for this particular chapter, what particular ideas in this do you feel like reflect larger storytelling morality perspective of Star Wars? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to a little bit of this uh, cultural exchange. We're certainly not done talking about it. Uh, I think a lot of people out there from what I've I've poked my head out a little bit like Punk, Punk Satani Phil to see if there's any uh, good Star Wars discussions because, you know, I get so uh, that's what well, that's what makes me feel fear. Star Wars discourse on Twitter. <laughs> um, and it, a lot of people are, are rightly uh, celebrating, I think, the continued evolution of the Tusken Raiders in our mind. The Tusken Raiders have always been like this. They're just waiting for us to catch up. And yep. Mando's uh, did such a great job. Um, uh, with that um, the episode they've got is I always say one of my least favorite episodes, but hot damn, isn't there some great stuff in it, which is part of being a Star Wars fan is finding what's there for you. Uh, that chapter five of Mando season one. Uh, yeah, this episode that everybody is celebrating is, is partially uh, built on chapter five of the Mandalorian and attack the clones, two of the uh, mm-hmm. less liked chapters of Star Wars. And this is built on them. 
hundred percent. We could do an entire, maybe we will do an entire Star Wars deep dive on that after the season ends. Um, so yeah, the, 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 this is a powerful example of cultural exchange in the face of, uh, you talked about the, the, the you know, co- cultural ignorance, cultural, cultural bias and, and just cultural, you know, this, this bigotry that could be out there. I love the exchange. Um, uh, the Pike leader saying, we thought you were uncivilized raiders because by the way, that's what we as fans had grown up with, you know, maybe on an individual basis. Some of you saw beyond that, but and that was the more respectful name for your uh, yes. culture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it is what it is from new hope and everything, but we know where it comes from in, in, in tropes and everything. But I, that line, we thought you were uncivilized raiders. We were trying to protect our route. And then a little bit beat or two later, Boba saying, your lives are a gesture of our civility. Oh, I love that exchange mm-hmm. because it ties into some of this big idea in Star Wars of, um, and, and I'm jumping like big parts of the galaxy here, I guess, but the rebellion, yeah. the rebellion has always been built and portrayed, especially over the last six years of storytelling, by the way, of having such strength from diversity, st- such strength of different ideas and perspectives, and also the trials and, and, and struggles through that. I think of uh, Mon Mothma, Saw Gerrera, Draven, whispering uh, orders behind everyone else's back. I, you know, that's been the, the story of the rebellion Different cultures, different species coming together. Think of Infus Ness and the Cloud uh, Cloud Riders and everyone affected from different planets, different cultures, but affected in the same way. And so to see uh, Boba and the Tusken Raiders coming together to fight for the betterment of all is a big Star Wars theme. It's just on real uh, f- focused display here this week. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think there's so much going on uh, with uh, big Star Wars themes of everyone matters and everyone is connected, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's part of the reason that I just love the train uh, because I'm excited to see the Pikes and and with their masks off in live action uh, because I like the Pikes, but it's not like, ah, oh, what alien should we throw on there? It is this direct connection of um, these different cultures matter and their actions matter. And it's a cool throwaway line that Han had to dump, dump Spice and that's why Jabba is mad at him, but that comes from somewhere. And uh, it, it it is uh, slaves who uh, make that happen, and to yeah. see that that ripples out and affects, um, you know, quote unquote, nobodies like uh, like Cammy and Fixer, right? Yeah. Ultimately, uh, to see that that uh, that ecosystem on Tatooine affects these raiders who, you know, they have that great line of there there are many uh, tribes, uh, some survive by killing. We we've stay we've stayed hidden. Like mm-hmm. we've, we've tried to just stay out of this and we can't cause they see us in our space and they shoot at us as they go by. There's uh, just that idea that, that everyone matters, everyone is connected. Um, and I think it really attaches to, to Boba Fett's perspective to that great line of, uh, but fate sometimes steps in to rescue the wretched. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that line is a real indication of, uh, this is why he rescues Fennec Shan because she matters. This is why he offers honor to the Gamorians of people like eh, Gamorians. They they're not very thoughtful and they just blindly obey. Um, just hose usually the huts. So yeah, just kill them. Just kill them because that's that's how you handle them. They're not you know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I I I see your loyalty, and I'm going to ask you to give that to me, and we can share this honor and and respect. It, it Boba Fett is coming at this while he is still certainly willing to kill. <laughs> yeah. He he's not you know saying all life is precious and all life must be protected. He but he is saying everybody uh, has 
there is a perspective of everybody has value and let's look beyond the surface. I love it. And to tie to what I was saying up top, if Boba Fett views himself as the wretched in this scenario, he has value. And I think we all need to find our own value. <laughs> That's a big, <laughs> big Star Wars self-help tip right there for me. Absolutely. And I think that was one of the biggest things for me. I really think about this a lot that Star Wars has to me uh, uh, these pillars that say you're, who you are as an individual matters. The choices you make matter. You really need to be the best version of yourself. You really need to find yourself and, and be loudly yourself. Mm-hmm. But then Star Wars also really preaches uh, also be know when to be selfless uh, for the benefit of the larger group. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Star Wars really embraces that uh, w- what ultimately matters is uh, that we're all connected and what's good for one of us often helps the other. Uh, that we are stronger together, community matters. But the only way you're really going to get to that great community strength is by individual strength. Mm. And that is exactly what Boba Fett goes through in this episode. He goes on his own uh, uh, solo vision quest, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dream, whatever uh, term you want to use for it. Uh, And because he successfully makes that through that as an individual and kind of gets himself right as an individual he's rewarded by this huge community at the end, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Totally in sync with that uh, that ritual that's just mm-hmm. so great and so powerful and, yes. and such a celebration. That was really, that was really beautiful. Just on a side, just on a side note, that, 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 that got me really good. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and going off of, you know what, uh, I do not claim to be an expert uh, on the culture in any way, shape or form, but going off what Tamara Morrison said about the making of the tragedy of that, you know, that being a part of his culture mm-hmm. uh, as Maori, that that adds some real world oomph to it as well. Oh, big hope, big oomph in this episode, Joseph. Big, big oomph, cultural yeah. oomph in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, wonderful stuff, man. I, you know, as always, I love just kind of to listen to your takes on this here and, and, and this connecting it to the, the bigger picture and, and everyone has value, such a, such a building block of, of star Wars. And, and then it says we head into Boba Fett taking his, uh, his, 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 a true spiritual journey, man, what a powerful uh, thing. And, and I, I thought that tied into, uh, tied into something we've heard before here it is the, <laughs> uh, this idea of uh, let the past die, kill it. If you have to continues to emerge as the statement of someone afraid of everything he was and not wanting to face it for their own growth and well-being. Right. Right. <laughs> and this is um, not a direct, uh, hey, let's uh, let's uh, argue, uh, you know, Kylo's points here. But um, Star Wars absolutely uh, gives us this, this idea of uh, going into your own past. It moves us forward. This tree of uh, this tree from water. What a great sequence of visions and, and lessons. Yeah, yeah, and just great the uh, symbolism that you can you can dive into with the uh, the water just is is like victory it's rebirth right everything from the water car uh exploding (laughs) and their joy of like whoa this is uh, like hey great we got some blasters and some tech cool water uh to that you know when he breaks through and he pushes past his fear he he, you know when the tree becomes like the sarlacc he could he could crumble i'm alone i'm weak i'm armorless right and he finds the strength to break it off and then there's a big explosion Mm -hmm. of water you know such great stuff and I've already seen a lot of discussion of this um, online. It is really great to see other elements of Star Wars I- explore a uh, very spiritual perspective, uh, like of the Jedi, right? There's yeah. a lot going on here that one could relate to what we've seen with Jedi of like, that's a, it's a trial that Boba Fett goes through. Um, there is a real uh, 
a symbiosis with nature uh, when you have a lizard up your nose. <laughs> kind of yeah. joke about it, but it it really is that like uh, kind of luminous beings, mm-hmm. you know, connecting the spiritual to the physical. Love that. And as a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan, I did think it was like a babblefish lizard that he was going to now be able to speak Tuscan. I'm glad that was not <laughs> what happened. They had a moment of, is he going to suddenly understand them? Uh, no, uh, love that. Love that. I was so I I really thought like okay this is this is where we're going I've kind of been wondering this whole time since he showed up in the robes if he is going to have gone through some sort of go out in the desert find yourself Mm -hmm. moment because that is such a a you know cultural story uh that once that lizard came out I was like how is this gonna lead to that oh oh okay then It was similar to Homer Simpson and that hot chili pepper he eats. It sends him on a similar vision, if I'm remembering that episode correctly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Uh, well, on Homer Simpson, uh, we can move on. Yeah. Uh, we always like to touch base quickly on the chapter title. Uh, this was, uh, of course, uh, The Tribes of Tatooine. Um, I think that's, you know, pretty literal to the fact that we spend a lot of time with the Tusken Raiders. But I also think it really does tie the uh, timelines together because it's all these different factions on Tatooine from from everything as small as just the everyday people of Cammy and Fixer to uh, the Nico biker gang to the crime lords, all that. How, how did you take the title? Yeah, similar too. just even just the people watching a lot of focus on those watching, including I love watching live action trends. Trans oceans just throw shade at Boba Fett. Whenever he's walking. I mean, it just felt like the, I love just seeing trend oceans going like, this is our breakfast place. And whoa, what's <laughs> yeah. going on? We were just finishing our, uh, our eggs. I'm, I'm having a Naboo uh, muffin. Uh, and uh, you know, <laughs> what are you doing here? No, I absolutely think you're right. And, and just the, the, the line for the mayor of, uh, um, I don't think I wrote that one down specifically, but you, you're going to find running a family more difficult than being a, a bounty hunter, right? I mean, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we get that. Yeah. We, thanks, Mayor. Thanks for the advice. Thanks to Padlo. But like, uh, I, I do think it connects to what uh, is going on here and the different um, the different people on this wonderful world, which by the way, sub note, sub note here, I'm just, uh, I lo- and I know I'm not alone. I loved, I love Tatooine and I love spending time here. If Kenobi spends all his time here too, that might seem weird maybe to the general public. I, I'm all for it. I don't think Kenobi will, but you know, there's just so much there that we grew up with as original trilogy fans. That's this, um, this, this all parts of the galaxy kind of coming out here to hide, to find themselves, to not find themselves, to run away. I just kind of love exploring it. And I think that title kind of, uh, scratched that itch for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's so great about this is, you know, Tatooine, you know, connects back to the absolute beginning of Star Wars and the absolute beginning of tip of the iceberg storytelling of like, well, what's the deal with that? How does that work? Who really lives here? Um, All that stuff. Who are they? What do they really believe and want? All that stuff. And so it's really fun to to spend time here uh, because we have nostalgia and connection to it. But what's ever what's even more powerful to me is like every planet could be this deep and rich, you know? Like we could have a whole series set on Utapau and it could be this deep and rich. I want Naboo the series. I think there's so much in the history there and the Gungans and the Naboo. Oh yeah. Wrong and how it got healed. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what's the Sando Aqua Beast really like? I want to find that out for sure. <laughs> Was there anything in this episode, uh, this chapter that you disliked or questioned? I'm putting this in all caps, my friend. Stop killing Banthas. I just, <laughs> that was, I just can't even go back to Mando chapter uh, nine. I just, oh, stopped, yeah, up killing ba- Grace and I just heartbroken over the, the dying Banthas. Here. It was, re- it's, it's really rough. It is, it's hard to see those poor Banthas fall. Um, 
uh, the the Pikes uh, did answer for it on some. They level. did. They did. They did. No, other than that, but, yeah. Beyond that, no, nothing, nothing big. I, I thought this was an episode, like we said up top, so confident and so just like here's the story we're telling, and and um, I, I'm behind that, and and fun little moments, you know. Would uh, you know, we'll talk about canon connections, but I would have loved if Boba Fett said, "Hey, Santi," but you know that, that's so <laughs> tiny, minuscule, and not anything to get hung up on. All it's fun stuff to think about. Uh, I really thought this was just a beautiful, beautiful episode of Star Wars. Uh, I agree with you. I don't have anything I, I dislike or question uh, at this time. We'll we'll see how the series goes forward. But for now, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into some of the moments we really liked, uh, the canon, the comedy, the action. There's so much great stuff to discuss in Chapter 2 of Book of Boba Fett, and we will do that in just a moment. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
And we are back to continue our discussion of Chapter 2 of Book of Boba Fett. We are going to talk some of our favorite Star Wars canon, lore, connections to other stories. Uh, Can I try to make notes as uh, I go through watching the episode the second time? And the first thing I just had to write down in my notes is just, holy bleep. I had to edit my own swearing. I wrote it on my notes as a swear word. (laughs) Uh, This, I thought this was one of the most rich from canon lore connections being just truly fun mm-hmm. uh to being meaningful oh 100 it's funny two two episodes two times i think we've both uh audibly gasped right and said swear words while watching you know i don't <laughs> mind i swear probably too much off air but like i'm forcing them to try to keep it clean but FBI yeah last week when they went to attack of the clones in the arena and this week two huts coming around a corner uh grace and i both went oh oh my and i went oh bleep. Yeah, it just got the the door opening, you know, at Jabba's palace right at the beginning. Right, and just getting right. into like we're spending some time in the things that make you feel it, right? Yeah, um, yeah, which is the first thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, uh, try to write down the ones that I think are big, uh, fun, the ones that spoke to me. Um, if you're looking for something that's very, very complete, we always recommend uh, Star Wars Explained does great uh, things of every tiny Easter egg. Uh, so with that caveat, let's dive in. How did you feel about the whole, uh, there's no rancor. It is only the idea of the rancor that defeated the Nightwind assassin. What makes you feel fear? The ideas are often worse than the uh, nice little creature down there just wanting a snack. Uh, I actually really liked it. It did work for some comedy, but they did such a good job of, um, I thought that was a good use of something we're really familiar with of every beat, every shot, the, 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 the dais, uh, the dais kind of moving back up and that famous shot of everyone looking down. I could almost see the Gamorrean guard with the, the slobber dripping down on the cage <laughs> and from return of the Jedi, all that stuff was there. And then the reveal, it was just, I, I, it was funny, but it was also, I think more than anything, just effective towards the big theme, but loved it. Yeah, really, really effective on on that theme you pulled out. I'm curious for you as a fan, did the trick work on you the way it worked on the Nightwind? Did you did it go on long enough? You're like, I know Patissa is dead. There's nothing in canon that there's another. <laughs> the, is the Rancor from Bad Batch in there? What's going on? I, did, did you think there was going to be a Rancor? I was because, you know, Grace is on the couch with me and, and Baxter Chihuahua. They both have not watched a lot of Bad Batch, if at all. So I was getting ready to yell, that's Moochie. <laughs> and and then I, I luckily I didn't say it, but yeah, yeah, I fell for it. I fell for it. Yeah, no, I thought that was absolutely great and just great comedy that there's just some sort of rodent in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely love that, including all the imagery uh, that is familiar and imagery that's new. Uh, moving on, this is a great thing that has been very consistent in uh, in Clone Wars and most recently in Bad Batch. Uh, we got to meet the mayor, uh, Mok Shea's. And the Athorian with the voice translator where you hear their weird, awesome Athorian voice and then hear the translated into basic. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, I love that. It's really nice. Yeah, I agree. What, yeah, did you did you appreciate the kind of different tone of the mayor? What did you think? Do you think that the, the voice that came out in basic worked for you? Yeah, which is also Robert Rodriguez, right? He's just getting all these voice credits here in this episode, yeah. <laughs> in this, this season. Uh, I actually really liked it, and especially because you know last week there was. I think we all, I think generally everyone thought this was the mayor that we saw from the, the trailer. It made sense, but there yeah. was some mystery there, and I just, I just love. For what it is, it, it's now it's not someone. We'll see if he keeps coming back or what to what level. Uh, you know, Boba Fett has to be wary of him um, beyond just general level of wary that he and Fennec should have and do have. Uh, I thought it was really effective. It was um, 
beautifully eloquent in its uh, in his uh, uh, you know uh, plane and behind the shield of power. Yeah, absolutely, and I love that he just has that sort of like inner sanctum, that mm-hmm. I mean, nicely appointed inner sanctum with a little throne as well, and outside of it just felt like Tatooine DMV, which I really liked. Yes, uh, yeah, that actually that uh, it, yeah that yeah that that worked for me in the end. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll talk about it. I'm sure when we get to whimsy and weirdness, huh? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, fair enough. Yeah, I, I feel like. Uh, in terms of like the story stuff with the Athorian, I mean, great, just great to see a live action Athorian having like a real big character role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really intrigued to see where we go because, you know, the Nightwind assassin claimed that the mayor hired him. Uh, yeah. So unless the Nightwind assassin is lying, I feel like what the Athorian is saying is like, look, I- I'm happy with my position and I'm going to answer to whoever I think has the legitimate claim to be in the daimyo. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might want to look into who has that claim right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the Huts might might have hired uh, me to hire the Nightwind. Whatever, it's all you know. It depends on your point of view. Hey, whatever. Force Ghost on the log will tell you that. But like, yeah, uh, I love the intrigue behind him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we got uh, treated to a little bit more time in the sanctuary, uh, where Garza <laughs> Flip very successfully insulted Boba Fett. Um, the in uh, a lot of great uh, characters in the background. Some that we got to see. It was great that we got to see the band again. Great that we got to see the classic. Uh, Band sensing trouble and therefore stopping playing music. You got it. If you're a band, that's one of your things. Go down with the ship and also stop when you need to. I mean, I think when you audition, right, they have to be like, well, what what kind of tunes do you got? What's your stage presence? How good are you at suddenly stopping when there's obviously trouble about to start? Yeah, and and Rebo started to tell the story of, well, this this is a bounty hunter. I think it was called Bausch or Boosh or Bosch. I can't remember. They they came in with a thermal detonator. We all just stopped. stopped. You just stop. You you just got to stop on a dot. Even if you're not on the beat, you just got to stop. For my own personal fandom, I absolutely loved that there was an aged Chadra fan. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Sounds like a delicious cheese, but I just, that's one of my favorite <laughs> species, the little, little bat uh, yeah. characters. And I love that there was one mm-hmm. spending uh, their retirement money gambling in the sanctuary. Yeah. Love that. Uh, moving on to uh, the twins. Mm-hmm. So this was something that I, I think uh, I was hopeful for. I'm sure many fans were of the idea that, yeah, that was a hut territory. It seems like if anybody's going to challenge Boba for that, the, the hut certainly are. Were you excited that these were uh, appear to be new characters? It's not a hut we've met from the Clone Wars, uh, right. or, or were you wanting more connection? I mean, look, I, I'm in Camp Rada. I wanted, I want to see a little bit of, 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 <laughs> of uh, that thread picked up or close somewhere. Maybe the twins uh, killed Rada. That would actually make some sense. So, no, I, I loved it. I loved the presentation, the sound, the drums, and then that that anticipation of who or what is coming around the corner. And again. Truthfully, honestly, uh, I audibly gasped uh, yeah. and just the way it looked and and to see huts like this. And it also, it really, really reminded me of Clone Wars stuff where we see so yeah. many huts. And sometimes it's like, wow, okay, that is definitely a, a hut doing a character. <laughs> yeah. But it really worked for me and, and it was intriguing. And and, and and Grace, my fiance on the couch next to me, is wondering, like, hey, what are their tattoos? Like, what is that? It just us just both kind of being... Uh, you know, disgusted at just not not the just their presence and the way they handle themselves and the use of the creature to to, to pat themselves that like everything <laughs> about it was really effective and and I'm excited to learn about who the twins are. 
Yeah, me too. I thought they were this great balance because, yeah, the the Clone Wars is great. The Clone Wars animated series, you know, it, it indulges itself in lots of weird whimsy, right? We get mm-hmm, the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, huts with like a, the <laughs> little pencil mustache, right? And yeah. a weird hat and weird monocle. And I felt like the, the twins uh, did feel like they were of that style without mm-hmm. being as silly, right? Uh, to have something like, ooh, there, there is definitely something that's uh, personal about them with their uh, tattoos and the mm-hmm. the fan um, that the the female hut twin has. But just the idea of twins that they were just sort of like, at first it was really fun to be like, are they conjoined? No, they're just kind of mm-hmm. twirled around each other. That's kind of an interesting take by itself instead of just a different hut. Yep. Um, so I really like that. And I like the way they're able to play off it. I was like, Ooh, you, you've upset my sister. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're very right about the balance. Uh, I think uh, if we end up seeing a 1930s gangster hut with a monocle and a mustache, uh, and a cigarette, uh, you know, we'll see how the fandom reacts to that who haven't spent time with those kind of characters in the Clone Wars. <laughs> but I think you're right. They just, they, they did it well. I just pulled off just really effectively the look. I mean, I'm going to say it, even just the jiggle of the huts as they're walking, as they're being walked up to them it it was all real and effective yeah oh you know what i wanted to say one thing about the approach too i the the drums the band stopping but the gamorians looking like oh we know what that is Mm -hmm. that was really powerful there's that great beat for me for a moment is are the gamorians just going to switch sides right now Yeah, no, (laughs) because there's that still that tension of uh fennec going this is not a good idea but so far it's worked out well for uh for boba fett to have you know pardoned those gamorians yeah absolutely uh, one of the other things that's fun for me about the twins, and who knows, maybe it's already uh, developing on Wikipedia as we speak. Uh, they're just, we're told uh, that they are cousins of Jabba. Ken, mm. uh, check my family relationships. Uh, Zero the Hut, uh, infamous Zero the Hut from the Clone Wars, uh, was Jabba's uncle. Uh, are the twins the children of Zero? That would make sense, right? I mean... We we don't have the whole family line of Jabba, <laughs> so there's there's possibly others. Um, that would be interesting. I if and and if so, even just a passing reference of it would kind of uh, make me uh, giggle with canon joy. Yeah, yeah, that one is not a uh, you know that is a wild, uh, yeah. unimportant conjecture, but it's yeah. it's that's the kind of stuff that's fun to dig into. Getcha. Uh, all right, we're going to move on to one that I think is uh, very, very exciting to you because you said on one of our prediction episodes or hopes and dreams episodes that this was one of your hopes and dreams. Uh, Ken, let's talk about the Wookiee. <laughs> the Wookiee. This is, and yes, uh, been texting with Alex Damon, seeing articles pop up online, uh, but looking for that official confirmation on IMDb or StarWars.com. But uh, by all accounts and by design, this is Black Chrysanthemum the bounty hunter, gladiator, warrior, Wookiee, who is uh, so diabolical and violent and evil and looking for the wrong things. He was uh, kind of asked to leave Kashyyyk, you know, just like, eh, <laughs> you're too violent, even for us arm-ripping Wookiees. Yeah, a uh, big, uh, a pretty prominent feature of the early uh, Disney Marvel comics books run, right? Yep. Uh, popping up a lot in uh, working with Fett as well in the comics, right? Well, so our very first introduction to Black Crescenton is in a, in a, in a panel with Fett, uh, uh, hired by, um, uh, this is when Vader was hiring Fett uh, to find out who took down uh, the Death Star. And uh, that, we're talking 
early, early 2014, 2015 days. Uh, and I've just loved this character, even on an older Star Wars rank, talking about bounty hunters. I've ranked him. I just, something I've always uh, loved about this character, including he ends up kind of developing or showing a little bit more of a heart. He comes really um, inter- inter- intertwined in the storyline of, of Dr. Afra. Uh, that's where the nickname Santi comes from. And, he, you know, at times he's a good Wookiee. He's got a, maybe a heart of gold buried deep down inside, but he's still, he still hasn't grown. He hasn't gone through the spiritual journey that Boba Fett has. Um, I, 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 I was just surprised to see that actually happen when he came around the corner. And when you watch it the second time, you see him kind of hiding behind the litter. But when he comes around the corner, I just I just got one of those nerd smiles that you, you get every now and then that you're going to cherish. Yeah, I'm just going to let myself enjoy the hell out of stuff like this because it, it is not just propping up the episode. It's not like, yeah, there, there weren't there wasn't much story development. There wasn't much character. There wasn't uh, much depth. But I saw some things I recognized. For me, this is just so not not that. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on in this episode that I have no problem just celebrating. It's awesome that this badass Wookiee jumped from the comic books into live action, right? And yeah. Uh, that continued um, hope, like with the uh, characters like Cobb Vanth or, you know, what ended up happening with uh, Saw Gerrera being in one arc of the Clone Wars and then becoming, mm. you know, a pivotal character who, who's visited, who's in television shows, books, video games. Um, that hope that the galaxy can kind of be connected, continue to have that lived in vibe. And if you fall in love with a character in the comics or the books or a video game, mm-hmm that they could suddenly uh, step into your living room on the screen. It's just cool. Yeah, and, and, and you don't need to know the history at this point. Uh, again, Grace sitting on the couch with me didn't. When I kind of explained uh, what it was, she was like, that's cool. She calls him now Satan Wookiee. And she just loves what is there. And and it's so, I, I mean, I before you and I were recording, you, you popped on Zencaster and you heard me watching the scene again. I'm just watching him stare down Fett and I was getting excited. And, and if that's the only time I see him and they don't mention him again or they never say his name, I, you know, that's fine. That's fine for me. I got this moment. I've been a fan of this character for a long time. And I hope more of that happens. I, I hope Afra shows up in a show, maybe this one or another one. I, I want everyone who has a character they love that's uh, Singer, all those kind of characters. I, I'd love you to, to get these moments. Uh, out there yeah crossing my fingers for live action embo um i yeah i I thought this moment was really powerful because it just it works if you're like i was not even aware that there were star wars comic books like (laughs) there's a specific kind of joy to it if you know uh black chrysanthemum we're hoping for an appearance of santi but i almost found myself jealous of people who didn't know because it's just the reason he's cool in the comics is the same reason he was cool (laughs) in (laughs) on the screen is like but Wookiees are, are Wookiees are very strong, but they're nice. Yeah. Oh no! What if a Wookiee is really strong and does not seem at all nice? <laughs> it does that not is seem nice. terrifying. That guy does not go home for life day. Holy bleep! You know? <laughs> yeah, he's not one for life day. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with because the image itself, uh, just from the shot from the back, it was so well done. Great little, uh, great little directing sequence there by Steph Green, but just uh, the turn of the corner, the look in the eyes. I'm telling you, the eyes, the eyes, the eyes. Everyone go rewatch the sequence. Him staring eyes. at that. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite moments. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to watch it uh, this evening uh, with my wife, Sarah, and see how she responds because she loves Chewbacca and she doesn't read the comics. She doesn't know about this character. So see if she what she thinks of like yeah. incredibly scary, as Grace said, Satan Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be clear, this came after I tried to, you know, I said the name is Black Kersantan. And then so she's she's boiled that down to Satan Wookiee. 
<laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, a small thing. I think that is a, a wart in the desert. Uh, same uh, character that we see. Um, mm-hmm. Burp outside of Java's palace. Not same character. <laughs> same yeah. species. I hope it's not the exact same one. Yeah. Uh, and then we move on to one of the other big, big canon things of this episode that is really, I think, if you want to enjoy it, great. And if you don't, it's just an Easter egg and that's fine. Uh, that does appear to be Tashi Station. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody is curious, uh, you can go on Disney Plus under the uh, extras tab of A New Hope and watch that six-minute deleted scene with uh, Biggs and Luke uh, where Luke uh, goes into Tashi Station uh, in talks briefly with cammy and fixer uh you see that same great tabletop video game mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah so well, i want to get into some details but i just want to start from the big picture uh some people had seen this in uh the teasers and said hey that's we think that's tashi station how did you feel about it i really excited and and one of those things that maybe you, you know that i kind of knew coming i uh, was kind of looking forward and and it, again it's one of those things this is all we get Awesome. Um, no bigs, dark lighter, a memorial, a picture on the wall like Alex Damon was really hoping for. Uh, he texted <laughs> a big mustache that says yeah. we will never forget. Yeah. He texted me this morning and said zero out of 10 for that episode. No bigs reference. Um, uh, and then uh, it just, yeah, it, it's, 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 it is what it is. And I love it. I love this there. And it speaks of love. And it's again, it's not something that is a, a, a nostalgia pop and there you go and the entire episode is built around these two characters and whether you know them or not it is it works if it's Doug and Betty sitting there like you said the tribes of Tatooine is an example of, of, of power abuse of power in the territories and all those kind of things we've been talking about so it works on that level but also just uh, you know Cammy and, and Fixer uh, I grew up reading that novel wondering more about those characters so it's it's it's, it's celebration of Star Wars yeah, absolutely. And I think the fact that there wasn't any winking or nodding, there's no mention of power converters, you know, the, the phrase Tashi Station was not used. It was just, hey, if you recognize it, great. If you see that in the credits and they say, Cammy and Fixer, wait, I think I remember them from the novelization in the comic book in the yeah. <laughs> uh, the NPR uh, audio adaptation of Star Wars back in the day, um, that they're one of these things that are kind of known by fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a fun pop for them, but not a you have to understand this complex history to get what's going on in that scene. Yeah, totally. It's a way to do it. The other thing I really liked about it, I rewatched this morning that, um, that deleted scene, right? And it's very cool. Biggs is the, the cool guy who went out to the galaxy and he's, he's popping home, yeah. <laughs> you know, to the hangout to kind of hang out for a few minutes. And Luke comes running in thinking he saw a battle and Cammy and Fixer are real dismissive. Uh, their nickname for Luke is Wormy, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, there is uh, this fun headcanon to explore of, we know from that Mandalorian episode where we saw people watching on a hollow of the second Death Star, yeah. you know, going and in the Empire falling, we know at least from the sequel trilogy era where that the legend of Luke Skywalker has spread to the remotest parts of the galaxy. Is there is there a part of Cammy and Fixer who are sitting there uh, when they're like, this isn't right, are they aware that their scrawny, <laughs> overexcited friend Wormy saved the bleeping galaxy? Yeah, and I think part of the conversation is both of them are bummed that they, they didn't invest in Apple stock in 82. Like, this is like, man, <laughs> we, we, we did some stuff wrong here. I I, I, I did, not, did not need it in the episode. It would have it been 
it just would have been out of place. It would have been fun, but it would have been out of place. But yeah, I, I, the, 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 the look around of like, oh, this ain't good. And is this, is this our reward for, this is what we get for uh, dismissing Wormy? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, I do, I do not want anything mentioned in the episode. It's just a fun yeah. idea to me of, because the Jedi to me are about their legitimate power mm-hmm. and about their inspiration. And if it was like, you know, how would you feel if somebody who you thought was the, the, the weak kid of your group went on to these amazing things Yeah, uh, that might inspire you to stand up? Yeah. Yeah. That could be there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not right. Uh, it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. Uh, in that jacket. Yeah, man. That he he needs a digital watch, right? <laughs> and a large calculator that is so 1982. That leather jacket. <laughs> Do you like Huey Lewis in the news? <laughs> uh, I I want to know if they get uh, Pac Man on that uh, yeah. absolute pizza parlor tabletop video game they're playing. <laughs> All right, moving along to the Pikes. Uh, yeah. Man, I, I thought that was Pikes the first shot. I was so happy uh, that it was the Pikes. Uh, they originated in the Clone Wars. Uh, they pop up a bunch of other places, including their big screen debut of the character Quay Tolsite on Kessel. And now here is their big moment to shine with and without masks. How did you feel about the Pikes? Absolutely uh, loved it. Again, one of those details that the show doesn't sit and uh, linger on. So it's not uh, nothing. Uh, the themes aren't built on them being pikes, just uh, their role in the show. But then it adds to it. World builds, like you said. Uh, it's it's uh, just to make sense, too. Again, this is something that this is what it would be. Uh, a spice train of pain run by the pikes. That's what I would want. Yeah, I, I like just, I love seeing them and seeing that canon continue. I like seeing them live action uh, with their actual faces. Yeah. And that's like, a oh, that's a fun canon thing. But that's also, that connects to Boba Fett's relationship of when he puts the helmet on, when he takes it off, when like, the, I'm going to look you in the eyes. You know, and Boba Fett really takes the helmet off and like, I'm going to look you in the eyes and you're going to tell me the truth. Yeah. Um, and uh, this uh, Pike leader takes the mask off to, just bald faced lie to Boba because he thinks he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I think you know when when they're having that back and forth about the spice, and and the Pike leader's like, "What? What spice?" <laughs> uh, the fact that uh, that Boba says uh, the specific kind of spice and sauna spice from the slave minds of Kessel. It's also a really reminder of like uh, in Boba Fett's current mind state, he does not have a lot of respect for the for the Pikes. Mm. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And I, lo- I, I love seeing Boba sitting there. He's now the one with the water uh, gourd. Oh, yeah. that Yeah. You know, I had talked uh, uh, last week about uh, Boba Fett seeing different visions of uh, different parts of his life and different roles he has played and wants to play of the child, the warrior, the leader. There was very much this like, uh, I have been the warrior. I have led this battle. And in this particular moment, I am being the leader. I am handling this negotiation. I'm asking for the leader to yeah. come forward. There's a lot about like, identifying those roles 100 percent uh i also really liked that they actually did give the name to uh what we've been calling the water gourds uh mm-hmm. the black melon and looked that up on wikipedia because it sounded familiar uh it is established as a black melon in an early star wars uh, marvel run in 2015 uh with a kenobi story right yep absolutely that's a good a good issue to revisit too yeah, absolutely. So I'm very, I was having a ton of fun saying water gourd. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I'm now happy to be able to use the proper term of uh, black melon, which sounds like a 90s band for sure. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, that 
the kind of shelter area where uh, Boba Fett is instructed in the construction mm-hmm. of his uh, of his weapon of his gaffy stick uh, that is uh, from a Macquarie drawing that shelter. Totally, and I love yeah, seeing that uh, go. Uh, we tweeted out. I'm sure Phil Sostak uh, tweeted that out as well. I think I saw that this morning while waking up and rubbing sleep from my eyes. So I love that stuff. I love when that pops up. Uh, Clone Wars always so good at that. Rebels are just amazing with that kind of stuff and. Uh, heck, even the throne and rise of Skywalker. No, no, let's not forget that's from uh, yeah. Corey as well. Love, I love when that happens. And I just, I love that modern Star Wars is on a mission to to find everything that Macquarie uh, drew. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and make it work because his work is so amazing and so essential to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of canon and lore, but I was curious if your mind went to a similar place uh, when Boba Fett was in that uh, Macquarie esque shelter. Uh, making his weapon that it felt like a real connection to Mandalorian culture, that there was a, an armor guiding him. Uh, yep. The fact that it was a ritual, uh, the, the uh, line that was kind of joking, but also truthful from, from Din Djarin in chapter two of the Mandalorian of uh, weapons are our religion uh, jumped into my mind. Did, did you go to those connections? A hundred percent went to that connection. Uh, it, both in just, Hey, some of the, these first two episodes have similar, uh, structure and framing to some of the stuff in Mando, which I, I see as the, as a strength because it's part of the story that it's uh, telling. Um, and it absolutely, the, there's a connective thread there very much. So from Mando's, uh, you know, perspective, uh, the, the Mandalorian's perspective, I should say. And, and, and what we're seeing here, um, almost to the point I was expecting him to, to say, are you an armor? <laughs> like, is this the village armor? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was great. Any other canon or lore connections that you picked up on? No, but just uh, well, uh, you won the the, the night the the Nightwind assassin just yelling Ichuta. I just love Ichuta. Still, <laughs> it's still McClunky and all the stuff. Uh, Carabast uh, Ichuta is still the first and, and and best swear word for me in Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. It's just got that feeling of like you. I think I just knew uh, you know instinctively as a child. Oh, that protocol droid said a very bad word. Yeah, can't say that <laughs> at the house. No. In Empire Strikes Back, I can't go around saying Ichuta. That's what I should have said at the top of our can section. Holy Judah. Uh, all right, let's move on then to moments of action in comedy. Uh, what were some favorite action moments for you? I always love kind of these action moments that aren't action at all, but just uh, Fett arriving at uh, Tashi Station, the door opening to reveal that shadow to fight the bikers. That's all the action that you need to know. It's not going to go good for the bikers. Love that shot. Mm. That was a great shot. There's so many individual shots in that uh, Tashi Station action scene, but I think what I really liked is uh, Boba Fett breaking the rifle yes. <laughs> over over the thug's head. Yes, hilarious stuff too. Yeah, and I think it has a little bit of like this episode so much is about the merging of different technologies and he, he loses that little bit of connection to, you know, technology that he knows, a uh, uh, rifle, and then he really invests in that uh, training stick he's got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. That look that he gives him once he got just the last few cornered and he's like, are we going to do this? Are we going to do this? <laughs> I, lo- I love when he uses that. To, it's such a great weapon to just wrap around someone's neck and toss him. Yeah. Yeah. Great classic bar fight moment to throw somebody through. Is there any glass available <laughs> in this small place that I can throw someone through? All right. Uh, moving on from old Tashi Station, uh, uh, what are some other moments for you? Uh, I'm going to jump uh, all the way to the, the, the train sequence, skipping maybe some uh, some great stuff, too, uh, about the training sequence and the montage, all the stuff. I think one of my favorite moments was when uh, they're they're trying to take uh, out this uh, train here and the Tuscans, the second wave of them, uh, take out the gunners, the pike gunners for the first time. 
I, I kind of had one of those like fist pumping, like, yes, we're doing this. Like, you know, I, I, again, this is one of those moments where on an intellectual basis, I was like, oh, I understand. I, I've, I've seen this, the train, we got a training montage. They're going to take the train. I understood that with my brain, but this episode just hit, hit me in the feels, hit, hit me in the heart. But uh, this is the moment, this is kind of the moment where it switched, where it went from me going, oh yes, the train sequence to, yeah, dude, they got him. They got him. We're going to do this. And I, so I'm really thankful to that moment. Yeah, watching the strategy again of like it, get the get the child up there to let the the people uh, the Tuscans know from a different angle so the Pikes aren't concentrating on them mm-hmm. so they can take their time and take their sniper shots is great. Great, yeah, real fist bumping. Uh, I think for me, there's a lot of great stuff in the training montage as you mentioned, but I really loved uh, the twist of you know we established that the warrior can easily remove the the stick from Fett's hand. And then mm. Fett gets that level of accomplishment. We're like, ah, and now I can remove yours. And that's where often the training scene would end. So I loved the uh, oh, yeah. twist that the warrior flips and catches the stick. And like, uh, it's not over yet. Well, I, yeah, no, great, great call. Great moment. Yeah. And then for me, just a ton of beats on, on the train. So I just had to pick a few. Um, before I knew that we were going to get to see the Pikes all maskless, I really liked the one shot where Fett's on top of the train and he is just uh, trying to get through the Pikes as fast as possible. Wax one and you can see their mask just go flying. I love that too. Uh, it happens a couple of times, right? But that first one is very clear. Love that. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely great. Uh, also really liked Fett um, using the stick, right? The, the mm-hmm. hook on it to grab the Pike by the head and just ripping him out of the train. It was one of those great visceral, like this train is going very fast. You can tell by how quickly... Yeah, <laughs> the body falls away. Mm-hmm. But also it was great to see Fett like really using the weapon and understanding it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again. Yeah. Uh, these, these fights should tell you a little bit about, about the characters. Um, I was just a big fan of of a uh, big fan of the warrior character overall. But just uh, right. with the warrior on the train, just crashing into it, jumping onto it, yanking pikes down all of it. And then it's such a triumphant moment. It's around 32 12 if you freeze frame it. Uh, the warrior pops up out of the train and just has the, it's such as like look like not like look what I did like I what didn't that what a surprise but just like yeah I did it I'm here we're doing this ah oh, just another fist pumping moment really love that absolutely yeah the warrior I think it, it just uh, really really great in this episode the the one you know you, there's just those looks between Fed of like I'm trying to train everybody else I know the warrior's got it right so in yes. the warrior coming in like things are a little rough like oh but the warrior isn't here yet but now <laughs> here comes the warrior and it, building to that great shot uh, uh that I think you're you're talking about as well where the the pike is uh poking their head out of yeah. the door and it, it just gets sucked down and then the warrior pops up it's like it's almost uh funny but it's mm. fist pumping too yeah, it's such a great look. Uh, it's such a great look. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Any other action moments for you? Um, oh, just Fett entering the, the the engine of the train just before he takes out that uh, creepy little spider arm droid there. But just uh, a great, uh, very classic action movie, almost Western, just like you know, feet first. Indiana Jones like too, just feet first, uh, taking out the glass, getting in the engine. I, I like that little uh, end of the sequence. Yeah, just going straight to where the problem is and taking care of it and yep. crashing through glass. Yeah, absolutely great. Uh, let's move on then to moments of comedy, whimsy, and weirdness. Uh, there's always moments of great comedy in any Star Wars for me, but that's one of the things that made this episode so enjoyable to me is that it had great depth, great action, and it was still funny and at times even like silly. Uh, so I was really thrilled with that uh, overall vibe. What were some moments for you? 
Um, I love the, it's right from the, in the cold open of just FedEx saying, uh, overpriced, you're paying for the name, which is also me talking about cleaning products at Target after I went to the dollar store. I just absolutely love the comedy of that there. It, and so it's her, her just being in the assassin, in the assassin world and just like, eh, whatever, Nightwind, it's a name. Yeah, there's so many great lines. That was probably my favorite of overpriced for paying for the name. It's like, just a person in the hood. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely great. Um, I think uh, for me, the next moment of comedy that uh, jumped out is all of the uh, Boba Fett trying to get through the red tape in the mm-hmm. uh, mayor's office. But in particular, that major domo that uh, we met last week uh, saying, oh, pardon the lack of pomp for your entrance. However, I did not see your litter arrive. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to a shot of Boba Fett just really, really not responding in a way that is a response. I wrote down that same sequence, just a classic screenwriting, a beat of, uh, of that uh-huh. because again, talking about communication and everything. I mean, uh, again, uh, I've really enjoyed the, that in this episode, but overall that I did, uh, however, not see your litter. I, like we've already gone over this, you know, <laughs> so I know you're just, just BSing me. You're being a real jerk about it. And yeah, there ain't going to be a litter. You know that. And, uh, it is. But, yeah. There's so much in it. It's such a funny beat because it's about this refusal to embrace a change. And I, I laughed out loud because Boba Fett didn't say anything. But the subtext is I am so done hearing about that bleeping litter. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So great. Um, did you have any other thoughts on this section? Because you said you were maybe wrestling with it. At, at first, initially, uh, I do love, by the way, that he's always like, I am Boba Fett. It's like, I think I think most people know. <laughs> in the galaxy, but I love it. And it's consistent. Um, and so, yeah, G- uh, uh, Galen Howard is the actor that plays uh, the city hall clerk, and he does a great job. Uh, he um, he wears a mustache a lot of in a lot of his work, looking at his IMDb profile, but it works really well in Star Wars. I'll start there. I think there would have been a time, Joseph, maybe 2015 era, that I don't know if I would have loved this scene, that it would have uh, would have felt like an episode of The Office or early season of Veep or something like that. Two shows I, I do love, uh, but you know what I mean? It just had a had a real, real, real world vibe to it. But I think, I don't know what's changed over the years. I just think something about it and also what they are doing with the Major Domo character with uh, Garza Whip, just the, they are playing in that world. They, they are talking about the red tape and the bureaucracy and, and it ends up working for me. So when it's the sequence started, Boba Fett, do you have an appointment? I was like, uh, okay. And I, I don't know. I just, I think um, I'm not stopping at that anymore. I, I'm, I'm letting to uh, letting myself kind of engage more with what they're, what they're using the comedy for. So therefore it ends up working, but that particular sequence initially tripped me up a slight, slight bit. Yeah, I think for me, there is, uh, we did an episode about this a while back, this tension in Star Wars between the uh, the romantic mythic storytelling where you kind of don't care about the real world details and then the real practical, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. how does the Falcon actually work? You know, you know, tell, tell me about Coaxium and, and, yes. and is Star Wars has expanded starting, I think, even with the prequels with uh, Lucas being really into like, I want to talk about the sociopolitical side of this. I want to talk about the kind of mm-hmm. almost uh, comparison to real world stuff of there. There are banks and there are clerks and there are day to day people. And it's not just all mythic heroes. It's there's day to day. And that tension can still pop up sometimes, uh, particularly when you're in the mood for like Boba Fett. He is, you know, 
he's mythic. He's, you know, fallen into the belly of the beast, but he has emerged, but he's wounded. And now he's looking at figures of who he could be. It's, it can all be very mythic and cool. So then when you, when you run into like, yeah, twerp at the DMV, yeah. it suddenly feels like you're crashing back into a kind of reality. Uh, yeah. But I feel like that is, that's a part of what Star Wars does. And I think it's a part of what this series is continuing to do with this myth of Boba Fett. It, it's literally this I am Boba Fett, the, the, the character people loved in the 80s. Uh, who are you? You don't have an appointment being here. And we're, <laughs> we're in a new world now. And I, I, I do think it works on that level. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was really funny. And I thought it was other uh, power dynamics. I thought it was really funny the way that, you know, kind of first level... <laughs> <laughs> I get paid, you know, space minimum wage uh, to work the front desk. It gets pushed aside by the major domo. And he goes, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, great. You want to handle it? Uh, okay, great. Uh, the assistant manager wants to handle it? Great, then. You got it. I'm uh, good, good for me. I'll take my lunch. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, the male hut wiping his face with the rodent was, you know, upsetting, uh, but also like what a, what a great evolution of wanted want to show uh, that these are not characters who have respect for the powerless. Uh, absolutely. And and as uh, you know, an animal lover, Grace and, we, Grace and I were really, we, we, you know, not you know, really upset with that twin. Really upset. Understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel? Uh, this is one of my other uh, moments where I feel like all the litter talk paid off when you saw uh, a couple of the litter carriers shifting as the conversation went on. Like that was that's a lot of work for them. We were we were commenting on that, too. Yes. Again, uh, more more uh, abuse of the powerless. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, the whole I mean, to, especially to hear, uh, you know, I, oh, I didn't see your or see your litter arrive. To hear it several times already, two chapters in, and then here you go. This is what everyone else is used to see, and it worked uh, on that level too for me. Yeah, and it, it it is it's good comedy that just drives home. Everybody is saying like, well, nobody believes you're really powerful because you aren't being carried on a litter, and then you see it, and like, ah, your power is literally built on other people. Yeah. Uh, my power is mine. And, and they took their time with the, the, the drums, everything about it, and just the slow reveal, the walk. There is no; they do not speed that up. They they no. take the time, and and again, the show's very confident in what it's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, what were some other uh, comedy or whimsy moments for you? Uh, I mentioned the Fennec one, but I think I highlight again their huts. We'll have to get permission if we want to kill them. Just this is a great runner. I want to see this all through. Uh, the, the show just Finnick like is it time can I kill them can I kill them I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> this one this one this one yeah, yeah uh, absolutely great you mentioned it but it's a great comedy moment and action moment but with the Fett's look his eyes of anger are are, are, are interesting just on themselves uh, by themselves but uh, Fett's look at the blast arrival when it breaks is a great yoink what huh <laughs> record scratch moment I love that fury face he gets of like, mm -hmm. I am in warrior mode. I'm it's, I, it's like, I'm almost detached. I give in fully. He's not tapping into like the light or the dark side of the force. He's like tapping into the fury force. Fury force. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he's just, he's there yeah. in those eyes. Yeah. It's so great. Um, uh, I like the grumpy. I am holding it the same uh, yes. about the, uh, the gaffy state. Yeah. Uh, in Tashi Station, the, the bartender is uh, Alan Graff. I looked this up. I just, I've been, you know, love looking at these little, uh, these performers. A ton of stunt performers are in uh, roles in this, uh, these episodes. It's a really interesting choice. And Alan Graff's a, a, a stunt guy and uh, just him nodding. Yep. Well, he brushes off the glass from his bar as Fett leaves. Like, yep. Another day at Tashi Station. They deserve that. I just, I thought there was a real uh, subtle comedy moment. Yeah, I, I noticed that on the second viewing of like, it, it, it almost seemed like, well, yep, that's uh, a mess, but things worked out <laughs> yeah. in the end. <laughs> what you're supposed to do, yeah. 
Well, that that was right. And I do love that Boba Fett claimed his drink. Yeah. You know, kind of continuing that like when you when you have a victory, you you deserve fluid. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um I I like a lot of the comedy beats uh in the training mm-hmm. of the Tuscan Raiders. I like it when Boba Fett's like a bantha, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Does yeah, that yeah. demonstration yeah. trying to to uh, connect the dots? Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one beat that I specifically wanted to ask you about is uh, there's the, the in the whole montage of Tuscans trying to learn to jump from one speeder to the other. There's a Tuscan who appears to successfully make it and then <laughs> must just lose their balance because they just go falling off. <laughs> yes. Uh, very realistic. Uh, you know, I've, I, you know. I don't do box jumps in the gym for a reason. I can't get off the ground fast. So I love, uh, I, I feel that Tuscan Raider. Yeah. Did you, did that comedy work for you? It did. Yeah. No, the whole sequence. Yeah. Very realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, moving forward, uh, what else you got? I do like the exchange of what does the spice look like? Yeah. Like that. It's, you know, it's a, it's a joke format for sure, but uh, it, it works. And again, I just love seeing, I love seeing Boba have more more spirit uh, than 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 the original trilogy Boba. Which, by the way, that works because that's him in that time. This this is a little bit of that feisty kid on Camino and the one we got to spend time with in the Clone Wars, uh, feisty and angry. But this is a different version. Of it. But it's like it's 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 a connective uh, thread for me. I, I'm enjoying watching him have a little uh, have a little comedy, have a little emotions, have a little feeling, have a little uh, sarcasm, and uh, definitely have some thoughts. Yeah, and still, I think there is, to me, a, still a connection to original trilogy where he says things short and to the point, oh, yeah, you know, totally. a little bit of that kind of terrifying monotone. <laughs> totally, yeah, totally, totally. It's definitely there, but uh, just enjoying that it's, it's the complete Boba. Yeah, the what does Spice look like? Uh, yeah, you're right. It is kind of a completion of a, uh, it's a little bit of a, oh, is he standing behind me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, that part of it. But the actual line, what does Spice look like, just kind of cracked me up of just like somebody trying that, like, how foolish do you think Boba Fett is? This is this is why you're known in the galaxy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Who are you kidding? Like just the the level of hubris uh, made me laugh. Yeah. The level of disrespect, right? For for the yeah. for him, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I loved I kind of loved everything about that, you know, the engine droid. Um mm-hmm. with the multiple arms and there there's that sense of like whimsy with just like I'm cranking this, I'm changing this level. It like it attached to all of the uh great action uh scenes with the big rocket on top, which is yeah. just such a space fantasy idea. It's like a western. It's a locomotive, except for it's got a big engine. Oh. <laughs> a big it's got a rocket on the top. Um but it's cut back and forth between like the action that was legitimately thrilling and had meaning. And then the silliness and the fun of this droid, you know, total uh, weird star Wars in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And it, it, so it wasn't just like, we like star Wars when it's really uh, serious and mythic and badass. It still got that like, uh, yeah, the silly fun weirdos everywhere. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of um, the astromech droid and, and the chapter eight of Mando that just suddenly, you know, is piloting the, the, the row in the boat through the molten lava there. Right. And just like yeah. arms come up and just a, a weird use of weird, wonderful use of droids. Yeah. And I think my favorite thing is they getting thrown from the train and then popping up on all those limbs and just that absolutely exit, you know, uh, screen, right. <laughs> <laughs> Scuttle. Yeah. Just the speed of that. It's like, ah, this is uh, not my problem. I'm out of here. Yep. 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 <laughs> Absolutely great. Uh, and final thing for me, uh, the, the reaction to the 
everything about the reaction to the lizard of, you know, both at trying to process what it is and apologizing for swallowing it. But uh, I think the key one for me is when it comes out after his experience and him saying, I thought that was part of the dream. <laughs> and to say, and not, and not to say with like, he's not in full control of his words yet. He's just kind of, uh, uh, just woke up from the greatest nap of my life. Did I imagine that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I just, I love that in Star Wars too. Like there's some super weird things that everybody's like, oh yeah, no, that's a kind of normal thing in the galaxy. We all know about it. And then there's other things from individual cultures, both as like, I was not aware of lizards that went up your nose and helped facilitate a vision. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any other moments of comedy or whimsy for you? Uh, a lot in it, a lot in it, but uh, no, that that's uh, on my, that's my list for now. Excellent. Uh, well, any directorial moments that jumped out at you? Uh, there's a lot always uh, celebrated about the individual directors, so we want to look at any moments that popped out to us. So, any for you? I, I think to to take um, to take this script and and to know that you 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 need to find the the space in it, and to let the image images tell a lot of the story in an episode. Again, you said about communication and not a ton of dialogue the use of the land as a character uh i thought there was a lot of those kind of choices that steph uh, green and and the team and uh dean uh, dean cundy is the, the the cinematographer i mean this guy's shot so many things to have him uh, play around in the volume too it just looked it looked nice looked beautiful but it was just the use of the land and the space in the story yeah i think i really agree with that i think two things for me um the vision, uh, obviously the way it's scripted is important, but the way it's constructed uh, to be dreamlike and frenetic. Uh, and I particularly loved uh, the way that as he was walking up to the tree, that it flashed between his current self and his, uh, you know, uh, bounty hunter, his his, mm-hmm. his past self that he's lost. And yeah. in particular with the, um, you know, the old gray white jumpsuit underneath. So it was very yeah. clearly who I have been, who I am now and who I have been is mm-hmm. facing this challenge. Uh, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So everything about that vision was great. It was just, it's great to see that kind of different storytelling, visual storytelling in star Wars. Um, final thing for me is sometimes in this section, we really want to shout out individual shots or moments. Um, but one of the things that the director does as well is, is balance the tone. Mm-hmm. And the fact that a lot of this is told Visually, there are definitely some uh, shots that that take their time and you need to have patience with it. Uh, But somehow the episode is still just electric and dynamic throughout. And it is just an expertly uh, uh, mix, an expert mix Mm. of comedy, depth, action. Uh, and, And that tonal consistency, that the success of that is what is, I think, so moving to me about this episode. Yeah, uh both both these episodes have been really cohesive is the word I, I've heard mm-hmm. describe them. And, and you're so right. That's one of the, uh, I think, perhaps often overlooked thing of a director. I'm, I'm not a film director. There's others out there. I know you've done a lot of directing yourself, Joseph, uh, at theater and everything. But the same type of thing of a bunch of actors, a bunch of elements, a bunch of parts. And can you find a, a, an emotional through line, a tone through line? Very well done in this episode. Even some of those moments that early on, I was like, oh, this is some office place comedy, it, especially on second rewatch, does not feel out of place. And everything about it, again, confidence in this episode and in the show is is very high. 
Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to touch on? Two things. One, I did mention. I will mention again, though. I I'm really am loving Jennifer Beals as Garcef Whip. Uh, the the quiet the quiet size, as I said, hidden beneath the the, the decorum, is really fascinating to me. And I want a spinoff special about an hour, just her of running the sanctuary, just like a <laughs> documentary, do cutaways of her in a chair talking about it. Uh, I, I'm really fascinated. She's doing such a good job of it. Um, and then the other one for me, I just love how massives are now the cutest things in Star Wars. Right. The, the things that were terrifying are now like, oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We want one now. We want one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out again to the music. Um, mm-hmm. I love that it does have a connection to Mandalorian um, in style, but it is still being its own thing. But that Boba Fett uh, theme with the vocalizations that just feel really appropriate for this storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's, you know, two episodes in. It was obviously some of those themes were introduced uh, in Mandalorian season two tragedy, uh, but it's just, it's really got what you want from me out of music of it gets you pumped of like, Oh no, Boba Fett's going to do something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, obviously so much credit uh, going to, uh, you know, Ludwig uh, for uh, the work he's done, the theme, but uh, Ludwig's, uh, you know, uh, worked very closely for years with Joseph Shirley, who is uh, doing a lot of the score here. And it's just, I think it's for me, uh, maybe not for others, but for me, it's, it's really in sync and it's working. Absolutely. And there's definitely some just uh, subtle score stuff. That's uh, really pushing into some different territory, but still working for me. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, we teed this up that we we're going to talk about predictions or hopes for next week. In particular, uh, a little bit of the anxiety of uh, what is going to happen to the Tuscans and is their fate connected to what Boba Fett is, uh, if Boba Fett has a larger motivation in becoming uh, the crime lord of Tatooine. Mm. What are your hopes, predictions, fears, Ken? Uh, You're putting some fears in in my heart there, not just uh, (laughs) uh, rancors there. Uh, Yeah, this idea that, look, Boba Fett, to me, what we've seen so far two chapters in is no longer left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. He is no longer wretched. He was reborn there. And that's been fascinating. So to see that play out and to see where it goes. And I I said it last week and I'll say it again. I I, I definitely want to see the show maybe catch up to where Crime Lord timeline is the more dominant one versus the Tusken Raider timeline. But that does not mean uh, I want the Tusken timeline to go away. I am just enthralled by what they're doing with it and what it means. And I want every week to have both. I really do. Um, and I think they might work to that where the final episode, maybe it's more in the crime Lord timeline. I'm by the way, I'm not even calling them flashbacks anymore. I just don't think that's accurate. Uh, no, the timelines are right. Uh, anyways, a big hope for Nick. I'm, I'm fascinated uh, that we are seeing Boba Fett go this amazing transformation. Amazing. Very spiritual. But in the present day, again, he is still a crime Lord. And, 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 and I, I know the series is clearly aware of that and it's aware of what it's doing. So I'm hoping we can get uh, you just even more clearly start to see these two journeys intersect and, and what's he, what's he getting out of, uh, out of life and his goals in the present day. I think it's there. I think it all, like I said, it's definitely connecting. Uh, I'm excited. And I, I'm, I'm with only seven chapters. I think you can start moving it forward uh, as much as you want to see. Do we see the uh, saving of Fennec? Do we see that? We get a little bit more of that, play out that story. What does that mean for now? And and uh, I'm just excited by that. But I, it hangs over it. Hangs over it. He's so nice. He still wants to be a crime lord. Hmm. What are they going to do with that? Yeah, yeah. Definitely on my list of, of hopes now that we spent some time with it, of so understanding this is the Boba Fett who rescued Fennec, who uh-huh. saw somebody having a hard time and, you know, offered them 
respect because it is the right thing to do, offered them a second chance because it is the honorable thing to do, and then is rewarded by having an amazing partner mm-hmm. in uh, in going forward. The Boba Fett who rescued Fennec Shan is making so much sense to me that I almost want to see it uh, from yeah. his perspective, maybe from uh, Fennec's perspective. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we get to that. I think for me, this is a point at which to really... We've had two episodes and I feel like the show is telling us what it is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this isn't, to me, a show where oh, they're going to tell us uh, what happened with the Tuscans so we can move on with the Crime Lord stuff. Mm -hmm. These are two stories that interconnect that are moving together, and I'm with you. I think that we're going to keep seeing both timelines, and they're going to comment on one another. I wouldn't be surprised, like, this episode is about 15 minutes Crime Lord and, Mm -hmm. you know, about 45 minutes, uh, not quite uh, 35 minutes uh, of the Tuscan Raider timeline. I wouldn't be surprised to see that flipped in an episode. Um but I feel like the show is telling us these are these two interlocking stories. Yeah. And what I'm really wondering about is, so Boba Fett um, found a new community. He found a new kind of armor. He's found a new way to be. What makes him go, now I need and want to reclaim that uh, that old armor and merge it with my new identity, right? Right. Because uh, he's still wearing those Tuscan robes over the armor. It's not a. It's not a rejection of the Tuscan. It's a, a merging mm-hmm. of these identities. Um. So there's the great hopeful possibility that you know something something changes in Boba's life where he's like, I need to fully face my past. I need to uh, be an active participant in the galaxy and go back to the kind of the the life I knew. Mm. Um. But the thing I'm extremely terrified of is that his family's going to be slaughtered. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I get you on that. Um, because uh, I this is such a great tri- triumphant moment with the Pikes. But there's a part of me that feels like, yeah, that was a great threat from Boba Fett saying any any violence you uh, or, or death you uh, pass out will uh, give back to you tenfold. Uh, are the Pikes going to be okay? Uh, when those Pikes go back and tell the syndicate of like the Tuscan Raiders want us to pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that really going to go well? Like, I think there's a lot of story left to be told to get Boba Fett to the point where he is uh, reemerging and getting his ship, getting his arm. Yeah. And it still has a little bit of uh, violence and anger in him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I feel like right now for where we're at in the story, I'm, I'm loving the idea of, I have been the warrior. I want to be the leader. I want to be the mm-hmm. one who, who makes the call. And also I want to bring all of this honor and respect that I maybe know from my, my own childhood and what I've really learned from the Tuscans. And I want to bring that to this lying backstabbing red tape crime world. Those are all great and interesting motivations for me, but the absolute deep bond with the Tuscans is also raising that question of, is there a practical end game? Like, is he trying to move up in the crime ladder because he is going to uh, make somebody answer for what they did to his family? I think that's a great thought and a great prediction. I'm fascinated with this idea of, of, of could he be using this position of power and just saying, hey, the, the underworld's going to be there. Let me try to affect some change from within, question mark? I don't know, but in uh, a greater motivation. Uh, love that journey. Love it. Uh, that's, uh, that's a great thought going forward. And a scary one. I don't want to see I don't, nothing wrong with the Massives, the Banthas, those Raiders, the Warriors. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. No, I want him to live a happy life for a little while and then go, I have some stuff that I need to complete. And they're like, we're understand. We totally understand. You need to go to college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you need to go back to grad school and 
face some things <laughs> with our blessing. Yeah. Uh, Boba, uh, that's what I would love to happen. I am, I'm very concerned. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really liked this week, we talked, uh, last week I had, uh, Googled the term, uh, daimyo to understand it in the real world. And, um, in the real world, that term is a, a, powerful person but in the middle or the upper part of the ladder but not the top of the ladder and i was really intrigued by the fact that he keeps using that phrase that's clearly a position of power mm. and then that fennec line that you've highlighted of saying they're they're huts we would have to get permission if you want to kill them uh, yeah. very great for for fennec's uh uh continuing story of wanting to kill everybody but for me that was a real confirmation that he's at a rung on the ladder and is he happy staying there mm. Mm. for now for we'll see yeah absolutely yeah and does he just need to be uh, the daimyo to accomplish something specific or is he going to want to move up the ladder the rise of boba fett the rise of boba fett indeed uh we always want to uh end with some fun so ken uh what merch or toys would you want based on this episode Go, uh yeah okay yeah um i want the twins Okay, because uh, I, I have a lot of Jabba um, uh, merchandise, um, Black Series one. So I want I want the twins. I also want maybe a Jello mold of the twins. I'm sorry for saying it out loud, <laughs> but I think I think you could do both. So in uh, Star Wars in the kitchen and Star Wars a collectible uh, uh, Black Series uh, scale twin set. Yeah, I want the twins is some sort of bed and bath product. Like there's a little mold of them with a brush. So like I could yep. use them to scrub my body the way they use that poor roach. <laughs> yes. Turnabout is fair play. Yeah, yeah. And it is it is torturous to watch these great episodes knowing I have ordered some Boba Fett action figures, but it's going to be months before they arrive. Um, but I still want more three and three quarter action figures because that's my go-to thing. Uh, I want a HasLab uh, action figure playset of uh, of Boba's vision. And, you know, it, it comes with a tree. <laughs> you can switch it out to be water or sand. Yeah. Uh, it comes with a different, uh, different Boba Fett action figures for different part of his vision. So you can swap it out. I just, I love the idea of taking something as a, as spiritual and shifting of a vision and going, how can we make that in hard plastic? <laughs> yeah, it could be a good Lego set too. A good Lego set too. All right. We have done a long episode because we are very, very excited about this show and about this chapter. Thank you everyone uh, for listening. Ken, where can people find us? Hey, we're the Force Center podcast feed. We found on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram and YouTube as well, where we are rebroadcasting audio versions of our show on there. Uh, thanks for those who joined us uh, from Star Wars Explained after Alex and Molly had uh, Joseph come on to talk about the child, the warrior, and the leader. We, we thank you uh, for subscribing. Uh, we are also on Facebook at Force Center Podcast. You can get merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can get an audio book on us by going to audibletrial.com slash Force Center. And the podcast available in a lot of different spots. We're housed on Acast. Uh, a- a- we used to be on Anchor. On Acast. <laughs> I keep doing that. Still new. Acast. And then we go to Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and a lot more on the way. Just search, and you can find us. You can support us directly at patreon.com slash force center. You can follow me at Kednapsuck. Go to Kednapsuck.com. Oh, and I also want to say we have that show, Databank Dive, on the Companion. It's exclusive for the Companion. You can uh, find out information uh, on either in our Patreon page where you can get a, uh, a discount on a subscription to the Companion. But listen to the show. It's a limited series right now, Databank Dive. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, then again, follow me at Kednapsuck and go to Kednapsuck.com. Joseph, you? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Instagram, TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And check out all of my other comedy adventures on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for Cammy and Fixer, this has been the Book of Boba Fett Report. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.